Hello and welcome to Scapegoat, the podcast where we see who gets the blame and who gets away with murder, sometimes literally. Today we're going to talk about a great rock and roll fraud, a situation where something strange happened. Now, a lot of you guys can probably think of different rock and roll frauds in your head, but this is a very, very special case. So to help me with this, I've drafted in uh, Johnny from Disaster Artists. Hey, glad to be here. Yeah, and uh, so Johnny, would you tell us, like, uh, you're very, you've got a big history of going out and seeing bands and seeing live music, don't you? Like, uh, you'd be quite interested in the yeah. music scene. Yeah, yeah. Not as much in recent years, but uh, historically, yes, I, I would be big into music. So what would you say is the biggest gig that you've ever been to? Or the biggest band or the most attendance? Oh, I'm not sure, actually. Most attendance is really hard. Like, like I've been to arena shows in, like, Crow Park like and stuff like that. They'd probably be some of the biggest, like, The Who and stuff like that. But I know, it's, it, that's a hard one. Like, biggest personally would be, there'd be a lot of bands I'd have saw when I was younger that, like, for some reason, like, you know, when you're young and as old as Metallica and Iron Maiden are now, when you're like 17, you think they're ancient and you're never going to see them live. Yeah. So when you finally get to see them, it seems like a bigger deal. Like Iron Maiden was like huge for me seeing them as a 18 year old. I... Yeah. I think uh, we talked about this before and I think we potentially were both at the same Maiden gig at one point. Oh yeah. 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 That's, we that, did. Were you there with the show that the Marlon Manson was doing the opening? Yeah, 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 yeah. We we're both at that show, so that would be that was a that was a good show from what I remember. And uh, yeah, 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 that was really good. There's also like even smaller gigs. Like I, I saw the Misfits, and it wasn't even like you know the original Misfits. It wasn't Glenn Danzig. Uh, it wasn't even Michael Graves, but it was still Jerry Undley who you know, technically ruined the Misfits, but it was still good to, to see them live. Like, Dial was still in the band at the time, so it was fun. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think a lot of the time it can be things like that, that uh, you kind of, you might not really love a performer, mm. but you want to be able to see say that you've seen them. Yeah, yeah. And I'd already seen Graves live, so it's like, well, now I've seen, I, I, I've never seen, I have, I have not seen Danzig live. So that's, yeah. uh, I'm waiting for that. He was meant, there was rumors that he was going to open for Metallica at Slane the year just gone by, but that never came to fruition. That'd have been fucking awesome though. Is there any like musicians that you would say like that, that you would like hate love, like an Axl Rose kind of character that someone out there that would be, you know, controversial, but you still kind of like them, but you know, you kind of get, they are a dick. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, like every member of Metallic, or no, not every member, just Heffield and Lars Ulrich, I guess. I mean, I think Robert Cicillio and uh, Kirk Hammett are probably uh, reasonably nice yeah, guys. Yeah, they, they seem cool. They definitely seem cool. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Uh, what's uh, now? I'm blanking on his name. It's the singer of Poison, Brett. No, all I can think of is, is the Hitman Heart, and I'm pretty sure it's not. <laughs> no, oh, what's this? Brett Michaels. Brett Michaels, yes. Like, he seems like a toy. He seems like a total asshole. 
Yeah, and to be honest, it's not that. like I actually love his music either, but like there's a few guilty pleasures in there and I, I would I'd definitely be up for seeing Poison. Yeah. As we all know that uh, Brett Michaels is the bastard love child of Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels oh. after the Montreal Golden <laughs> Club. Oh my god, you know what he actually looks like? He could be, he looks like a mix of them two, the two. Well the, well who's yours? Do you have a as someone that I would say Axel Rose because there's kind of different points that like you know he was destroying Guns and Roses and like he was Guns and Roses and there was the whole mm. Chinese democracy will never come out but then it did and someone gifted me the CD and I never listened to it although like yeah. you know in the kind of weird way that like I kind of never wanted to listen I kind of wanted it but I didn't want to listen to it. Yeah. Remember I had someone round to my house, like a friend of mine's Tommy, and I literally just gave him the CD <laughs> because he wouldn't literally believe that the C- he hadn't heard of it. It was about two years later, and he was just like, oh, no, uh, no, that's that album will never come out. That's in development hell forever. So I just went up to my room, <laughs> got the <laughs> CD, and I just like handed it to him, and I said, oh, no, I've got connections, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I I don't mean to hijack your podcast and go on tangents already, but sure I heard this. I'm not sure if this story is true, but I heard that. So how long was that in development for? It was like a decade or something, wasn't it? Well, Use Your Illusion came out, I think, in like 1992, and then they did a weird covers album called The Spaghetti Incident in mm. like 93. But then that came out in something like 2009. So I think it was at least 15 years. Right. So I heard a story like, say it was like 2000 and maybe it was just 2000 or 2005. Let's say it was 2005, where it looked like that album was going to finally be released. And Coke or Pepsi or some company as a publicity stunt uh, released a statement saying if that album was released before New Year's Eve, they would give everybody in America a free can of Pepsi. Yes. And so Axl Rose postponed the release because if everybody in America got a free can of Pepsi, it meant that Slash would be entitled to a free can of Pepsi and he didn't want Slash to benefit anymore from a Guns N' Roses album. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Which to be honest, just brought him up in my estimation. That's if if true, that is the the best the, the best passive aggression I've ever heard. Oh, it's not no, even passive; it's it's just, it's just aggressive. <laughs> well, I mean, like you know, for a band that was so big at the time, I can totally believe that. But you know, the, he it seems a man of like serious conviction and hatred towards some people. But like you know. He's an interesting character. The other thing, the other thing, I do you know the story about him with the the movie The Wrestler? The one with uh, what you call him, Mickey uh, Rourke. Rourke? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you heard any? So you seen that movie? No. Okay, so this isn't a spoiler, really. But at the end, uh, Mickey Rourke's character comes out to "Sweet Child of Mine." as his entrance, and it's meant to be this uh, a message to his. his daughter who he doesn't have a great relationship with but darren aronofsky because uh, axel rose owns all their music so he asked axel rose personally if he could use it 
and he said they could on one condition that if they worked if they worked in a line of dialogue in the film that made fun of Kurt Cobain (laughs) (laughs) so there's a scene in the movie where they're at the bar where Mickey Rourke's on a date with a girl and they're just talking about how great great the 80s were and then Mickey Rourke just goes yeah and then that Kurt Cobain dick had to come come along and ruin everything So I forgot, I forgot the Kurt Cobain hating Nirvana thing, oh, yeah, or yeah. Nirvana making fun of him. <laughs> the guy oh. dead, dead like fifteen years at the time, and I'm still getting in digs. Oh, but like you know, I kind of like bringing things slightly back on topic. The guy that we're actually talking about today, I think, does have a striking resemblance to Axl Rose. Very much, very much so. Yeah. Because, like, you know, when I heard this person's music, I was thinking, uh, oh, this is going to be just like a Guns N' Roses ripoff. But then it was a lot more 80s than, and I know Guns N' Roses were an 80s band, but it was a lot more 80s. Yeah, but it's you know a bit I mean. more, it's a bit more, he's a bit more metal than rock and roll. Like, I, you won't really call Guns N' Roses a metal band. No. But, uh, well, okay. So we'll reveal who that we're going to speak about. And, I'm willing to bet about 99% of our audience haven't heard of this guy. He's a guy who goes by the name of Jared Fretton. So, hi, Jared. I know you'll probably listen to this. Hi. So, uh, <laughs> hi, Jared. He will. He will. He, yeah. <laughs> it's like if I put it up on Twitter, Jared Fretton episode, he will listen to this. I guarantee this. Yeah, yeah. That's I, I hadn't thought about that, but I'm going to try my See, best to, the, be, to be See, kind. that's the risk when you're making a podcast about like scapegoat where we can talk about very very specific things mm. yeah well, that, also, like... i was just going to say with us on disaster artists it's not like richard Gere or jared leto are ever going to listen to the podcast but yeah jared tretton might or probably will you know i would say that like it's the kind of thing that you know because you're talking about things that happened years ago that people have forgotten about People who are involved and Google themselves, you know. Yeah. Like, but yeah, uh, no, hi, Jared. But, and like, okay. not to not to like give too much away of what we're about to talk about, but and again, Jared, if you're listening, I don't mean this to be as insulting as it may sound, but he's definitely the kind of guy who Google's himself every morning when he wakes up. <laughs> Oh no, he'll find it on Twitter. Yeah, he doesn't just he doesn't just check mentions like he go he he'd he'd be the type of person that would seek out any mention of his name. No, I mean I totally get that that like you know I don't want to say too much, but I think we will we'll return to this Fred once we've spoken about him. Yeah, and yeah. think how he potentially would react. <laughs> yeah, because then your only listener will be him. And everybody else is like, well, I have no idea what this is. But the rock and ro- the great rock and roll hoax, well, I don't care what that is. It just sounds interesting. Yeah, no. They'll be like, oh, here, Luke's done episodes of music before. Like, mm. let's talk about this. But what Jared Fretton did was he turned up to a European tour in November 2018 with many promoters expecting him to bring in wild crowds, which he had promised. Although then he turned up to crowds of maybe two or three people. Many people were shocked and tried to think, how did this happen? How did this 
worldwide rock star whose talent agency got in contact with us and told him that he w- told us he was coming. How did this happen to us? So we're going to tell the story of the great rock and roll hoax and how Jared Fretton managed to trick a load of venues in the United Kingdom and some in Europe to believing that he was a giant rock star and to sign him up for a European tour. Yes. Okay. So, as you can probably guess, the guy's real name isn't Jared Fretton. And I want <laughs> you to know that this is spelled Fretton without, like, a G or, like, you know, it's like Fretton, you know, yeah, street. Yeah. And his real name was Jared Ames. He grew up in a town called Mulberry, Missouri, which was a small, like, town in the Bible Belt of about 13,000 people. A classic beginning for a, a metalhead. You know what they said, like, about well, a lot of people who were, like, into rock or rap and all this sort of stuff, they weren't, like, the hardcore L.A. scene people or people living in, like, the hood stereotypically. It's, like, white kids in suburbia who are yeah. just like, I want to be the most hardcore person of all time. Yeah, well, that's what, when you look at, like, any of those towns that, became, that like, became big stories in the 80s during the whole satanic panic, it was all backwater towns, like, where, you know, metal was taken over and all the kids were listening to Metallica and stuff. In the big cities, punk was kind of more... Punk or, or just pop or, or disco or whatever was more their thing. But metal seemed to be a very southern or just backwater town sort of musical genre i guess so yeah i mean like and i think it's also like a very easy go-to if you want to go to something very extreme Mm. like you know a lot of people would be like to actually become like a skinhead or a punk i actually think it takes a lot of like thought and like getting into ska and getting into like different scenes to kind of understand it. Yeah, yeah, well, it's more of a group thing as well. Whereas metal, yeah. like it, it's often loners are just like three friends hanging out and they're drinking in their car, like listening to Megadeth. Yeah, and like you know, it's like this was the, what Jared grew up wanting to listen to. So Jared's the same age as me; he's thirty-one. So like. You'd have been growing up past the peak age of metal. Mm. So, you know, what what I was listening to when I was starting to get into music and stuff, like the big bands around 1999, thinking like you really are getting into music when you're 11, would have been Limp Bizkit, um, Korn. <laughs> you know, uh, you would have still had like a lot of the big bands, but I mean, it wasn't, this wasn't like the hair metal era. This yeah. was, this is kind of like past it. Yeah, very much so. You, like you only hear of like around that period, I can remember like the only thing Metallica had done had been like a say they had one single that was like this song from Mission Impossible Two, I think. Oh, I, wherever I may go or something. No, uh, I disappear. I think it was called. Yeah, and they had like the S and M album, which was Symphony and Metallica, where they play with an orchestra, but they hadn't like done any original like albums in years like that's how over that genre kind of was for for a long time so it's kind of like if you were going to if you were going to school at this point and you're trying to get into music it would have been a lot easier to be like oh i like smash mouth and i know that sounds like a joke now but that's probably true you're like oh man i love i love all star and i love walking on the sun 
But like him and his brother were slightly different because the thing about Jared was that he had an older brother, Scott, and like Scott was about six years older than him. So, you know, this would have been, he would have been growing up at the peak end of the 80s, 90s, and he would have been more akin to this heavier kind of metal music, like, you know, so he would have liked Metallica and stuff. And they both started a band together called Saithif. So the thing about Saithif was they were very kind of like heavy metal. If you can kind of imagine that, like, they were kind of going extreme, like, you know, uh, you know, the kind of like Satanist kind of like, you know. The Norwegian sort of metal. You know, people who like the thought of Varg Vickerness, but wouldn't want to be stuck in a room with him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they were going for this here. And, you know, they managed to actually make a decent break because in 2010, they managed to headline a gig in Puerto Rico. And, you know, that was like a pretty, the headline, like a large gig there. You know, they really did think that they were going places. But Mm. what ended up happening was that around this time, they signed with a record label which was called Rising Records. So Scott and Jared, when they signed for this, they thought this was related to like the Rising Records out of Sheffield in the United Kingdom, who actually had a good reputation for big bands and looking after like, you know, young stars. But they actually signed for another company with an extremely similar name, which ended up being like just a pyramid scheme where people were giving money to like believe in their fame. And was being run out of an Essex mansion by an unscrupulous music producer oh, called just... Mark Draghorn. So this the... ended up like, sorry, I was, this is closer to you know those uh, publishing houses for authors where you pay them like four grand to publish your book, and then once it sells a certain amount of units, you start to make a profit. Oh yeah, no, I mean this is throughout different things like you know if you're looking at scams this is a very very kind of like popular scam like it's used in the publishing industry and the music industry like you know it's even like a lot of people would say like oh your son has potential at being a footballer let him sign up to this private coaching academy and i know someone who was for liverpool so maybe he could get playing for them someday right it's just everywhere but, you know, if you sign up 2,000 kids, maybe you will send one person who'll become a reserve star for Ipswich Town. But, like, you know, that's just statistical numbers. Yeah. yeah. And it just means you've got 1,999 kids who are just like, here, I could have done better on my own. Yeah, yeah. So this whole kind of, like, scam ended up, like, breaking the brothers apart because... They were like pretty tight, but uh, Scott started to think Jared, his younger brother, was starting to get like become and get a real ego about him. He wasn't acting like himself. He was kind of turning up to family meals, wearing like a leather jacket and sunglasses and like practicing this like strutty walk. And he was just like, dude, like, you know, save it for the stage. He reminds me of somebody I knew at that age. And they did that? Well, the, yeah, the kind of got frontman syndrome without actually being the frontman of a band. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I know people who I one of my very close friends would have had like you know it's an awful lot of posing, but it's like I can understand that when you're out and about, but when you're in your own family home, it kind of seems a wee bit odd. Yeah, now maybe he didn't do it in the family home, although I think he did. I recall. I remember. Oh, this is all according to his brother Scott, who <laughs> Jared no longer speaks to. So there could be a reasonable amount of slander yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? He's probably telling the truth. Like based on the interviews I've seen, yeah, I, I can see him doing this. So what's for their band? Scott and Jared had planned to actually tour Europe potentially. But, like, with them being scammed out of money by Mark Draghorn, basically, you know, this ended up being, like, <laughs> you know, the end. name. Sorry, sorry. Mark Draghorn. What a fucking incredible name. Actually, I mispronounced it. It's Daghorn, but I added an oh. R because... Okay. <laughs> I, Mark, I'll just call him Draghorn. Because I was going to say, if, it, if I saw Dra- Mark Draghorn, I'd be like, yeah, this sounds, this sounds bogus. Daghorn... <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, I mean, it could be an Essex name, yeah. but <laughs> Mark Draghorn. <laughs> yeah. no, like, that sounds like one of those puns, like Terry Dactyl and the dinosaurs, or like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're just expecting there to be like one initial in the middle, and then it will just suddenly be like a pun name. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, like, you find out like a Marco Draghorn is actually a species of lizard or something. Yeah. But uh, no. So. Basically, what Jared ended up doing was he moved away from his family with his uh, new, his fiance who became his wife, and they moved out to LA to find their fame and fortune in two thousand twelve. No, they cut yeah. complete ties with their family. Yeah, I I read about this, and like it's weird. Did you come across like his medical condition? You mean where he was coughing up blood? Yeah, and that seemed to play a big part in why he, like, ditched the family, where he just didn't want people to tell him to go see a doctor. I didn't, I didn't get, I read that because he was claiming that in this Rolling Stone interview that we were both reading that basically he was throwing up blood and he threw up onto, like, a basin and he said it was almost a sink full. Yeah, and yeah. I'm thinking, like, dude, it doesn't like the human body have, like, nine pints of blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, if you yeah. lose free, you lose consciousness. Yeah. And, like, now, it didn't say that he, he ditched the family and moved to L.A. because of this. But, so, like, I'd read the, where it said that this glimpse of mortality, along with mountain family tensions, inspired him to leave uh, morbidly for good. So that just phrase that like when when this popped up, because there's even a quote from him where he says, I'm not going to see a fucking doctor. Those people are inadequate. They're not going to know what they're doing, which see, I, I'd seen that quote, but it wasn't to his family. It was to his actual his girlfriend. girlfriend. So yeah. the thing about his girlfriend, his wife now, Kelsey, is she's a nurse. So hmm. she was trying to tell him for like medical reasons. But I think the fact that like he just left town I think he left it on bad terms, so his family didn't know his family and her family just didn't know what happened to these two. They just packed the car and left and they didn't hear about them for six years. Wow. Which kind of shows the kind of character that he is. I mean, mm. again, you know, I not everyone listening to this podcast will know who Axel Rose is, but that's a serious Axel Rose move. Yeah. 
especially for 2010 where it's like so easy to like even keep in touch to not to, to not hear from a family member for six years in this day and age is insane like different back know, in the 30s when people would immigrate to australia and you might get a letter from them at christmas and that was it but you see i think part of this was he immediately like changed went started going by a stage name of jared Fretton. There's no longer Jared Ames, which would be his given name. Mm. He was Fretton. And then, like, you know, I think that was easier for him to lose his trail. But, yeah. you know, he kind of went out to L.A. And he kind of felt like, you know, oh, I'm going to become a rock star. But, like, like for, like, 99.9% of people who try and do that, they just weren't successful. Yeah. Because, like, and I don't... And I, a lot of the time, think, like, people becoming famous like that isn't down to your talent. It can be just be down to absolute luck. I think it's all, like, talent is, is a big part of it, but there, there are so many ungodly talented people in the world. And there's not enough, there's not enough room for them, like. So to actually be the one that makes it, that that is just down to luck, like. Yes, I mean, like, there is persistence and stuff, but it's like, you know, there's a kind of weird way that you can, st- you have to stop chasing the dream. It's like, you know, someone could tell you, like, oh, Johnny, like, there was this girl, I, I don't know why they're American, but they'll be American for the story. Oh, Johnny, I there was this girl that I really liked, and uh, I pestered her for years and years and years, and she eventually went out with me, and now she's my wife, so <laughs> always persist doing this. But then, like, you know, that might have been, like, there was some sort of spark between them. But, like, you know, if the average person tries to go out and do that, you will get arrested. <laughs> Don't you, like, and, leave me and alone. rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you know, there there's, can be sometimes be people, like, who are leading you on. Yeah, because you're never, you're, you're never hearing the story from the guy, oh, it was this girl I really liked. And she just, she just didn't think we'd work. And I pestered her and I pestered her for years. One night I broke into her house and, and then the cops came. <laughs> and that's, and that's why I have a restraining order. You know, nobody brags about that story. Well, if they did, you'd be very, you'd be very wary of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. But uh, yeah, no, but like. So I should on... not, I should not tell that story at parties. That's what you're saying. Well, you know. <laughs> why i think if you say it on the podcast rather then it'll get to a wider audience you would need to say it at parties <laughs> you'll have a bunch of people from melbourne australia being like this jolly fellow seems a bit dodgy <laughs> but um uh no but like he went out there and you know he it doesn't say what he was doing but i can't believe that just with his wife being a nurse that he was really a full-time musician. Mm. That he was probably doing something else because... I think I had read that he, you know, as he was trying to make it as a musician in LA, he was working in fast food restaurants as well. See, that would make a lot more sense that he moved out there and he was trying to, like, get his big break and he spent something like $10,000 on trying to record albums and like Mm. you know record music and he was doing that thing that he was saying like i'm proficient in all instruments and like you know 
I'll I'll do this record and I'll play the drums on it. I'll play the guitar. I'll play the bass. I'll do the vocals. I'll do everything, which is kind of like you know in your head when you're saying that it seems like a kind of cool brag, but in reality, if somebody says like, "Oh, I've played all the instruments on this," it would just indicate to me that they find it very difficult to either give control to other people <laughs> or get on with other people. I, I that's what struck me. It, I think it's getting on with other people, like because oh. So, so two things I want to say there. First, so about him working in a fast food restaurant and spending ten grand to make the album. I, I'm sure this will come come up later, but I think there might be a bit of a Tommy Wiseau thing going on here, the director of the room, where there's money coming. He had money coming from somewhere because if you even look at his music videos, the videos are shit. But his in like he's he's he goes through like six or seven different Ibanez guitars in one video and he's playing like a Pearl like roadshow, uh, roadshow drum kit with like double bass and like he's just using very expensive equipment or at yeah. least not cheap equipment so like it looks like he was spending even more money than he had talked about but secondly to what you're saying about was he struggling to just get along with people I think that's definitely the case because he's a fairly talented musician like to be to be fair to him yes like i'm 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 not an expert on drum i'm not an expert on any instrument really but he's definitely really good on guitar singing like he you know he's not a front man he's all right he'd be perfectly serviceable in a band i just can't see why anybody like that would be reduced to just playing by themselves unless he I just mean, didn't want to give any spotlight to anybody else but i don't see why you'd want that why you wouldn't want to play in a full band i think it's just like he just couldn't get along with other people but i mean even if you're trying to do that you do these kind of people like you know even if you're like someone like meatloaf or like a big solo like rock artist you do have like a backing band oh yeah yeah and, yeah and, and somebody like from 2010 to 2013 john james was playing guitar with him and then it was somebody else like mm. you know you'd be able you t- to trace who was playing with him yeah but you take somebody like marilyn manson like he's a solo artist but or solo artist but he had the same back and but like uh, twiggy ramirez and john five like they were played they were his band for like a decade i think they, maybe I- they're still with him i don't know no, um, I think that he had ditched the band, but the the thing about him, like, didn't they go out and form, what was it, the Murder Dolls? No, that was um, Joey Jordanson from Slipknot. Wednesday okay. 13 was the front man of that. That might be... Who did, who did the song, Dead in Hollywood? Yeah, yeah, that's the Murder Dolls. Well, maybe, that was the Murder maybe... Dolls. Oh, well, you know, I think Joey Jordson played drums for Marilyn Manson for a while, but I don't think he was, like, ever a permanent fixture. Okay. No, it's it's because, like, to be part of Marilyn Manson's band, the theme was that uh, you had to have the name of a serial killer as your last name and the name of, like, a 1950s or 60s pinup as your first name. So it's like Marilyn's from oh, Marilyn I, Monroe. Charles Manson is Charlie Manson. Yeah, yeah. Like Nikki. Sorry. Like you know, Nikki Six was someone, and 
you know, it's just like if you look them up, they're all named after yeah, a serial I, I killer and an upmodel. Yeah, like Twiggy Romero. So Romero's was Richard Romero's. Twiggy, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm sure Twiggy sounds like a pinup. So Tw- sure Tw- Twiggy was like a 1960s British model. Oh, she okay. was, just in case you wonder who she was, that do you know Blues Brothers? Yeah. Did you know that like uh, Enfield goes to, is at a gas station and there's a Brit- there's an English woman and she's driving yeah. a sports car and he's trying to t- chatter up. That was Twiggy. Wow, okay. I, I, I never knew that that was... A th- I, obviously, I knew that Marilyn Manson, that's how he got his name. I didn't know that was a thing with the rest of the band. Oh, no, that's that was like... I One of my friends growing up was a big Manson head, so it was just like, you know, he was just... tell You just picked this up by osmosis. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm not Marilyn sure what Man- John... Where John 5, what does... <laughs> where did that come Maybe he joined the band later, though. I think he could have actually. I think he could have actually started as like Rob Zombie's guitarist or something, and then joined Marilyn yeah. Manson. So he already you know, had. Maybe he was. Name. Maybe he was named after the number one pinup serial killer, the robot from the Close Circuit movies, Johnny uh, <laughs> Five. Because <laughs> he started off as a sweetheart when he was hanging around with that girl from the Breakfast Club. In the second movie, he became a badass. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, yeah, no. Uh yeah, no. I mean, that's that's the whole thing that, you know, he found it hard to get along. But just to say one thing I think is a fact before we move off the topic. If you I love that like, as a sentence. <laughs> I, I just to say one thing I think is a fact. <laughs> I believe I know it's a fact for Alice Cooper, which was pretty much what Marilyn Manson grew out of mm. was like, you know, I know that they weren't related. They only ended up playing a concert together from like 2015, but that would have been like one of the influences at the very yeah, start. Yeah. Alice Cooper ended up becoming, uh, it was the guy, Alice Cooper's real name is like Desmond Vincent. But the thing about him was that they started off as a band called Alice Cooper and the mm. lead singer just took the name as the moniker. But yeah. then when the band split up, when the Six Piece band split up, he just continued that. And I think it was the same for Marilyn Manson. Was, that yeah. it was the name of a group that the lead singer took the name. Kind yeah, of way. which is the most dickish thing to do. Like, it's well, a very Avril weird Levine thing to do. did that. That in a kind of weird way that Avril Lavigne, when she started off with her first album, she had a band that were all kind of known together as Avril Lavigne, although it was her name. And mm. then she just ditched them for the second record. So, oh, fucking music industry, man. It's weird, like, with Bon Jovi, like, how did that name come about? What, John Bon Jovi was the lead singer? Yeah, well, isn't that his actual name? Yes. Is it, so he didn't take, but they decided, yeah, let's just name our band after our front man's surname. Yeah. That's bizarre. But, like, Van Halen was named after the guitarist. That's true, yeah. Like, you know, I just think sometimes people can be like Guns N' Roses was named to get back to the Guns N' Roses because it had Tommy Gunn out of like the L.A. Guns and it had Axl Rose and they named it after both of those members, Guns and Roses. Okay, yeah, and yeah, that's I, I actually had heard that before. I just forgot about it. Yeah, but <laughs> getting loosely back to the topic, <laughs> but like... But I want to say he doesn't play well with others. 
Like, you know, yeah, it would seem that he doesn't way. seem the type, like, you know. And he does seem like the kind of guy who'd spit in your food. So if you see him as a local, <laughs> like uh if what what if you have to guess what what uh, fast food restaurant he would work in, what can what do you think he would be? Supermax. Uh no. <laughs> <laughs> That relates to another episode. Um, yeah. I mean, he's the classic, just it's McDonald's. It can't be I anything think, else. It has to be like the biggest. I think I think that would be, just be too... I think, that he, I think that he would think that he had to work in uh, like Burger King or something just to be alternative. <laughs> no, but I think McDonald's makes the better story because then when you're when you're rich and famous and you're bigger than Metallica and you talk about how you worked for McDonald's, you had to work for the man to to make your dreams happen. I think yeah. it just it's a better it, it, it's more fitting. I think. Yeah. So around this time, he released a song called "Living Is Dying." Uh, you could kind of you could kind of tell the theme of the song, and uh, yeah, people that he got very upset because a lot of uh, like the metal press who found it generally were just making a lot of fun of him. They just said like you know this is the worst parts of eighties music put together by someone who didn't even understand why eighties music was good. <laughs> like you know is you know I mean like it's it's funny but equally like. You've moved out to LA. You've done like you've been working in Supermax for three years, and uh, you know <laughs> the way you look at it is that you record your big song and your music video, and as everyone's like, "That shit!" Like this must be like soul crushing. Yeah. Have you listened to the song? I have. I listened to it just before I was speaking to you here. <laughs> what What you think of it? You know, again, because he kind of has an Axl Rose-ish vibe. I was kind of expecting something a bit more like that, but it was kind yeah. of very deep eighties. It was kind yeah. of just like it was well, kind of like not even that rocky. I mean, it had guitar and stuff, but it was kind of like it's yeah, it's real like, melodramatic. It's uh, like it, it reminds like Steve Vai or something. Yeah, it remind like I it doesn't feel like the eighties. It feels like. A band you would see in, on Kerrang! in 2003 trying their best to replicate the 80s, but yes. still having a very 2003 sound to them. You know, it looks even looks like the, the video and everything. The video is very poorly. Well, it's not poorly produced. It looks fine, but it's clearly like it's so weird because he's playing all the instruments. So it's just cutting between him playing different instruments. And there's nothing more lonely than a guy that's meant to be like a metalhead but he doesn't even have a band he has to play everything himself i don't know why he like he should have like tried to hide that in the music video and just focused on on him singing rather than like cutting to him cutting from him singing in front of a mirror to him playing drums and all meant to be like one continuous performance it's just so fucking weird no but like i've kind of had thoughts like that in the past and I don't mean about playing every single instrument, but I remember thinking like at one time, because like I sometimes kind of have a bit of an ego about me that I was going to this pub quiz in Prague when I was living there. And then like nobody kind of was willing to go with me one week. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go there on my own and I'm going to win it. And it's going to be the coolest thing ever. And then you kind of, <laughs> I didn't, but like you think about that, 
going through a pub quiz on your own just to get like show other people wrong. I mean, that's demented. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty. I didn't. I'm glad you didn't go. <laughs> No, I had enough common sense, Johnny. Because I wasn't sure how I was going to respond to that when you said. And then I went and I won and I got up and I told everybody how I'd done this on my own and I didn't need friends. No, but you know, you know what's the kind of thought in your head? You think something's cool, but then like you actually think about it and think, no, that's actually probably the lamest thing you could actually do. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what he done with this music video. I think he recorded the lamest thing you could do. Like and he could have made it so much better if he just didn't draw attention to the fact that nobody else was there. But you know what he could have done is kinda of like you know in like kind of weird aesthetic thing that he could have been like, No, I'm the front man, I'm the only one you can see. But it was basically him playing the instruments but wearing like a paper bag on his head saying <laughs> not important yeah. or something. Like he yeah, could have yeah. went with its aesthetic. Yeah, or like that band Ghost, you know, the way the, I don't know if they're still doing it, but it used to be that the the front man was Papa John and uh, all the backing band were just referred to as the Nameless Ghouls and they all just wore masks. Have you listened to Ghost? No, and when I'm thinking Papa John, I'm thinking of that pizza guy. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, he's, I think it's Papa John, it's like Papa John the second. He's like a pope, sort of a, a satanic pope figure, and he does uh, all the vocals, but then the backing band is just referred to as the Nameless Ghouls. And yeah, they, replaced, I mean, they replaced the front man with every album, so they're on like Papa John the Fifth now. It's the same guy, but they just have this backstory to sacrificing their front man at the, at the end, at, at the launch of every album, and then getting a new one. I think there's a way of doing things that like... I think it's being so proud of it. That's the thing. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's the, that's the odd thing. That's why I was kind of using the pub quiz as an analogy, because <laughs> yeah. you think in your head, and I would be so proud of this, because you know you th- you're 24 or whatever, and you'd been going. I've been 24. I've been going, and you kind of think, oh god, I'm so good and I'm so this, but you kind of look back at stuff like that and you think that is so cringe. Yeah. That doesn't actually make you look cool. It just makes you look like you've got no friends. Oh, it reminds me of, so listeners of our own podcast probably know at this point that myself and Shane, the co-host, uh, went to film school and that's how we met. Uh, so all through my 20s, I'd have worked on a lot of like short film, a couple of features and a handful of documentaries and stuff. But did have been... Very few of them would have been at a, at a high professional level, but what I just, what always just I found amazing was just the amount of guys who on their first film, they're just making like a, a short film with like a 900 euro budget and making sure that the first thing you saw in the credits was a film by scott donahue and then the next credit was written directed edited shot by and as all this by scott donahue and just like just just put right writer director you don't need like we all know that you're the only person behind the camera on this film you don't need to tell us that you wrote directed edited shot color graded sound design musical score (laughs) you know like they just but they wanted everybody to know yeah. every little job they've done on it. It's like, you made a film, so just, it's like a, pa- a painter just, he he just puts his name that he painted it. He doesn't tell you that he mixed the paints and that he went out and bought them in an art shop and, you know. Yeah. 
I think there's something, you know, I kind of <laughs> wish that it had said, like, you know, a friend music video by friend. Yeah, yeah. Film by friend. <laughs> Guitars by friend. But, but like, I think my point is, uh, I didn't really get across. It's like, I, the video is kind of cringy, but I think the cringiest part is just how proud he is. But yes. It. Yes. That, like, uh, I think that that was, I think that's what he genuinely thought was going to be his crowning glory. Mm. And the fact it was reached, it had such a poor reception. Because, you know, even, I think he would have accepted it if it had reached like a Rebecca Black level, like with Friday of cringe, the people actually hated it. But if there was a lot yeah. of people who hated it, I think he could have dealt with it. But I think it's the fact that he was like, you know, he'd, he hasn't said how much he spent, but it's like $15,000 shoot that he did. And then it only ended up getting like, you know, 1,200 views or whatever. Like I don't know what the views were at the time. Like it's gone up now because of so course. many articles have been written on it that they link to it. But like, yeah. Actually, this just occurred to me. Have you can can you remember the music video for the Megadeth song uh, "Le Tout Le Monde" or "A Tout no. Le Monde"? No, I never it's was wor- a big Megadeth fan. It was just very popular back in the day, so I thought maybe you've seen it, but. Uh, I think he might have actually been inspired by that music video. Well, equally, he does have a Dave Mustaine vibe to him. Yeah, now that's kind of I'm I'm kind of replacing the Axl Rose image with Dave Mustaine now. Just okay. now that I remember that music video, it's very like it, and even style wise, Megadeth are very a very fast trash metal band, but they've got that a lot of their stuff, especially in the '90s, had that slow metal ballad kind of sound to it. So. Yeah, that I think that it was kind of like a lot of the bands like around Aerosmith. I don't want to miss a thing that they thought. No, the way we get back into like popularity is ballads. <laughs> mm. But uh, yeah, so he then he went and he released an album in two thousand and seventeen, and he decided to follow on from this by making up an elaborate scheme. To make himself have that European tour that him and his brother never had six years earlier. So he started doing this by, you know, actually the first thing I'd like to say is like one of the people who we connect with Fretton that like he says is one of his personal heroes was Andy Kaufman. Mm. And Andy Kaufman, for people who don't know, or have just seen the Jim Carrey movie Man on the Moon, was a real character. And uh, he was a comedian who was on the TV show Taxi. So it was a TV, he was like a TV comedian from the 70s to the mid-80s. And, you know, he was kind of popular for doing what would be called anti-humor. Yeah. So he's kind of doing stunts, doing things that wouldn't be directly humorous, but like he would take jokes to the extreme. Like he kind of had a weird thing to do with wrestling that uh, he started mm. off and he started off wrestling just women. And this was <laughs> yeah. kind of wildly entertaining because it was <laughs> well, 1978 or whatever. Well, he created first, I think it started like he created his character would kind of just be very sexist. 
yeah. and he started like tre- like challenging women to wrestling matches and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> And he would just like beat them. He would just like get them in a chokehold and beat them and stuff. Yeah, I mean, what a guy, <laughs> inspirational hero. And then he fell out. Then he ended up challenging um, a big wrestler at the time who was like a multiple champion in, I think it was at the Pennsylvania area. Um, I ooh, Jerry Lawler. Well, it was. So it's Jerry Lawler who people would know from he became a big star in WWE. Mostly as a commentator rather than Yeah. But no, he was like because he used to be like Jerry Lawler, like people don't realise he was a huge star back in the like ter- territorial territory days of wrestling, which for people that don't know back prior to WWE or WWF sort of taking over the wrestling world was divided up into territories run by the national wrestling uh, wrestling alliance and i i just can't remember what um territory lawler was in but he was there like he was there hulk hogan at the time yeah he was but i think he was a heel wasn't he for most of his career yeah, he was yeah. a bad guy i think well was... this was often the case back in the territory days where he'd be a heel when he traveled to other territories to, to to fight their champion, but he was always the he was the hero back in his own territory, yeah. and I just but can't I think, remember. I think it was Memphis, though. I think it was Memphis was where he was based. So he 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 would fight in Memphis one night and be the the face, the the good guy, and then he might a week later he might go up to New York and fight there, and he'd be the heel. Yeah, would have been a well known character. But uh, yeah, what uh, Andy Kaufman did is he challenged Jerry Lawler to a wrestling match and Jerry Lawler pretty easily disposed of him. But Mm. uh, Andy Kaufman accused him of dirty tricks. And for the next 14 months, he wore a neck brace, which he didn't need, that he just did it as part of his bit after wrestling Jerry Jerry Lawler. He publicly went out in a neck brace for 14 months just (laughs) to kind of create this animosity. So yeah. this is this is so you know Fretton's one of his heroes that like you know he's someone who's willing to do a big publicity stunt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but it's so odd. Which, which I can kind of appreciate that though, if that is his hero, I, like. But I I feel like he might just be making that up retrospectively, maybe. Well, you know, I think an awful lot of things he said, particularly in the Rolling Stone and Crying interviews was to make himself seem more of a sympathetic mm. and get a badass character than he might have been thinking before. Yeah. Because with the, the, the sort of Andy Kaufman fakery, I, I appreciate... Well, that wasn't even fakery. That was like playing into pro wrestling. But I appreciate like like just fakery in general. Like when it's done sort of in good sport where it's just to see how far you can go with something. Yeah, because like in professional wrestling, they've got the term kayfabe. Yeah. Which generally means that, like, you know, you exist in the reality of your show, and you're not to break that, even like in the world. So, you know, backstage you could have some guys like the Wild Samoans, who are supposed to be like savage Samoan guys who didn't speak English. Now, they spoke English perfectly well, so if they're backstage, they could be speaking to like another wrestler and it'd be fine. But there's mm. a story of Hulk Hogan being pulled over, you know, for like drinking, and he had the Wild Samoans in the car. 
the Wild Samoans like had like whatever proof to vindicate Hogan, but basically they didn't want to break kayfabe, <laughs> so they pretended they couldn't speak English, and Hulk Hogan got arrested. Wow, there's loads of stories like that where, like people like Roddy Piper and Macho Man would just be out in the bar, and then somebody would spot them, and they'd have to just break into a fight because they were feuding on yeah on tv at the time so they couldn't break kfab yeah so that's crazy but i kind of feel like that's also something that fretton has a bit that like he talks about living in his own reality and you know in his own head he thought that he was a big rock star or at least that's the world he was trying to imagine Mm. the world he's trying to imagine himself into so he came up with a bit of an elaborate plan so the first thing he did was he was an unsigned artist so he made up a fake record label called superlative music and made up a bogus history and a website for them claiming that they'd been founded in 1964 following an appearance of the beatles on the ed sullivan show and like listed like all a load of like phony artists on the roster but this is something fretton was really good at was he would he would name bands and this sort of stuff but he'd come up with very plausible names that you would look at and you would think are actually bands right so so right like the like this this band the the beatles is that yeah i never heard well, I mean, I'll just read you some of these and I'll add in a real band and you have to tell me oh, which okay. one, you have to tell me which one of these is the real band and which Love ones it. are the fake. Okay. Are you just going to do like, is it just, I just have to guess. I'm just going to, I'm just going to look at my shelves here and I'm going right. to get the name of a Northern Irish band, which is local here that you probably wouldn't have heard of, but like, you just have to name it. But I just have to name the fake band. You just no no no. There's gonna be three fakes and one true. Oh okay right okay. So just give me one second. I'll just grab a CD and I'll right. just check. This. <laughs> okay, I found a local band CD. So right. The names of these bands are Dreamatic, The Great White, February Morning, The Box Tops, and Jared Fratton. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but wait, it's tree fix and one. It sounds like they're all uh, true. Okay, which one do you think is the is... true one? Is it Dreamatic, The Great White, February Morning, and The Box Tops? Now, if you're some sort of Darren Brown, you'd be like, you paused after this one, and it means it's the <laughs> truth or the lie. Okay, well, I know... Well, obviously, like... But this is the thing, like, if one's fake, like, is Jared Tretton fake or is he real? This is a trick question. I think, I think he's got a YouTube channel, so I so think he's, he's real. Okay, right, I just need to get that out of the way. And so I know the box, the box tops are real. Okay. Uh, what are the other two? So there was only one which is true, so. Oh, wait, I thought it was one box... fake. No, there's wait, the three box... fake. There's three oh, so fake. then the box, the box tops are true. No, the great white fake, February morning fake. The box tops it says here unless he linked to a real band fake. Oh, uh, Dreamatic is a Northern Irish band that I have a CD from on my shelf, and even worse, I <laughs> it's such an old CD. 
it's that the band's name is actually melodramatic but <laughs> right. uh, but uh the thing is that uh, i couldn't see it because they've written it in a dark green font on a dark blue background so <laughs> right but, <laughs> great but, work, lads. but for the record the box tops are also a band are they yeah yeah they're like a 60s so i think they're kind of like a doo-wop band they're big as well like they're not like uh like some okay unheard of band what he would be good at doing would be taking names that sound like bands but actually aren't mm. the same as the band so it's now here's like, the thing you know, maybe maybe the box tops aren't real maybe i'm just laying the groundwork for my old for my own rock and roll hoax no there is a bond called the box tops yeah i've looked it up okay but he's claiming that box tops were there so maybe that gave relevancy but what he, what he kind of do would be like you know that you'd look at like if you were to make up the name of a fake country artist if i just simply said okay this guy's called boba murphy <laughs> absolutely real <laughs> like i would never question that <laughs> like of course that's a real country star. <laughs> But I just made that up. No, but that's like sure. a that's like an Irish country and western star, you know, like T.R. Dallas. But uh, yeah, so that was that's the first thing he did was he started superlative music, and because you know he thought he was a superlative, and then he made a similar website for a fake publicist, which is called Magnified Media PR, a fake booking agency called Stage Right. And, you know, they're all very good the, names. I think he's got a talent for naming things. Yeah, yeah. Stage Right is a great name for uh, an agency like. But, you know, the thing is, he made websites for all of them to make them look legitimate. And yeah, the, and the other thing that he did was he I think he has a talent at naming things, which is such a pity that he named his song living is dying <laughs> <laughs> it's such yeah. a poor title it's terrible that but that is like that's i like i'm almost certain if i went back to my mom's house and like dug through old like notebooks from when i was 15 i've probably written a song called living is dying <laughs> you know it sounds like what a 15 year old metalhead would write yeah but he was in his 20s when he ran a when he done it i mean yeah i mean i think you're even being a bit too fair there i mean this came out in 2015 what age was that okay it was about 25 yeah no that's yeah a still too old though years. still too old <laughs> still too old but uh yeah no, i'm not i'm not saying that i would be above having at the age of 25 writing a song called living is dying and thinking i was the bee's knees <laughs> But like he's good at naming these things, and he made websites which are very believable. And again, like you know, he was just naming all these stars that they represented, and some of them would be like you know, if there was a star called Andy Gray, he they'd say they're representing Adam Gray. Oh, you know, okay. Kind of, so he know. was learning from the uh, the the trick that was pulled on him and his brother. Oh yeah, no. What he was this was, I think that he had learned quite a bit because. You know, it's in the kind of way that, like, if you've ever, like, gone to, like, a pound shop or something like that, and you've accidentally bought something, like, as a gift, or you've bought it as a fake gift, like, you know, this is what I did to, like, a friend years ago. Like, I bought her a, a bottle of perfume, and, like, you know, Tommy Girl was very popular at the time. Mm. <laughs> this was from, like, you know, 
the local pawn shop and it was called like Jimmy Girl with an identical packaging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, a few years ago on our Discord, we were uh, sharing knockoff versions of ties we found. Oh, like I think that, I <laughs> where it'd be like Special Man and Robert Robert Cop. <laughs> That's my favorite. Like, but like Robert Cop. Why not Robot? cop if you want to do a knockoff of robocop just say robot cop why robert cop <laughs> but i like to think the person who named that was just like just in case they come after me i've come up with an entire backstory which is parallel but different to robot cop <laughs> <laughs> oh it's amazing oh uh, yeah but like you know i love like that's one of the things but, that like if you're ever on the disaster artist discord like I used to share these things and so did Johnny it would just be like toys of like mega combos of like, you know, toys for kids and you'd have like a ninja turtle, Superman, Spider Man, and like a Dragon Ball and Shrek. character. <laughs> <laughs> Shrek. Yeah. And it was called like the Revengers or something. <laughs> and there was another one where it was like Star Lord and it was Darth Vader. Riding a police motorbike with the what do you call a motor, the when it's, it's got the passenger thing attached? Oh, a sidecar. Yeah, like the and like I I think it was like Johnny Five. Funnily enough, that was sitting in the sidecar. It was so it was just bizarre. And there was another one where it was the Dark Knight, and it was just Batman on a unicorn, and it was just like two separate ties that were like, yeah, we can slap these together. Oh, but like some of it is so good, but it's just like you know. It reminds me it. of when when I was a kid and I got into comic books. I I published my own comic book for for my friends, and it was called Arachnoman, which I thought was the most original thing ever. Okay, and uh, which superhero were you ripping off? From? Batman, thinking, obviously. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> so I was thinking like Arachnoman, <laughs> like that's clearly Daredevil, right? Yeah. yeah. But like you know, not uh, this is a tangent. But like I remember reading, and it made so much sense. They said like Daredevil should have been called Batman because he's using superpowers to see a Batman just <laughs> should have been daring. Daredevil. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Like Daredevil literally has the powers of a bat, and Batman is literally just a daredevil. <laughs> oh, but you know. The funniest thing was when there was a again we're sticking with a tangent now I guess Marvel and DC done a crossover a few years ago where they combined characters and made like the the combined universe version of them so it was characters that had things in common so they combined Superman with Captain America and okay Wolverine and Batman yeah (laughs) and he was called like Dark Claw but like. I guess they couldn't combine Daredevil and Batman because they were too close. But it was just weird that they didn't. They didn't see an opportunity there to just switch them completely. And just literally don't combine them, just make Daredevil Batman and Batman Daredevil. It would have been a much better gag. Yeah, getting back on the topic. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because, like, there's a load of uh, very good uh, tangents to go on. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. The guy was, I think, and just to say now, I think that Jared Fretton does have talent in certain ways of marketing himself. I think he is very good with the guitar. I think 
there are certain things that like I think you know the names of a lot of the bands the name of this here I think he's quite creative yeah I, I think like think... His, his biggest talent is he's very smart I did, like he's got a really good head on him for how like just the industry works he's a talented musician he, he's just as he's clearly just a smart lad but what I think is I think what he lacks the worst is how he's perceived by other people mm. that like I yeah. think that's his downfall because or too, I think too that, occupied with how he should be perceived as well. Yes, because he's trying like, to pro- constantly project a, an image, and he's so focused on that that he seems to have forgotten about everything else. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty. It's just pretty crazy when you come to think of it. But like, he did know how to kind of like get this. You know, how to kind of like get a great deal of a kind of buzz around him and a following mm. because. He populated his Facebook page with like fake followers, mm-hmm. which are just like, you know, people in Brazil that you can buy that like you can do this for Twitter or Facebook. But he decided what he set up these companies with the idea of starting a European tour. So using the publicity agents and the tour guides and all this sort of stuff, he was ringing up different venues throughout Europe and like asking them like, oh, uh, this Jared Fretton wants to do a UK tour and he'll play here and he can book out so many tickets and like, you know, for a venue in Sheffield, he's already sold like 200 tickets. So if you've got a venue with like a room of 500 people, you'd be like, well, we'll probably make the money back in drink sales. So yeah, like, yeah. go on ahead. Like we're happy now, enough with that. Sorry, just to interrupt you for a second. So, because you're saying uh, you're you're referring to him as Jared Trent Trent now, yeah. But at this point, he's not really promoting himself as Jared Trent. It's a band called Trent. Yes, but so I just want to make that clear to people. Like it's at least to me, the idea seemed that he was promoting it as this band. Like it seemed like a bigger thing. Yes, but like. The publicity posters that he was sending out to all these places was just his face. <laughs> because there was nobody else, of course. Yes. But, like, because they, they had a, a promo video and it showed him on stage. And, like, retrospectively, when you look at it, you're like, oh, well, clearly there's nobody in the audience and it's just his wife shooting a video of him with, like, some random guys he hired that morning to play as a backing band. But yeah. the promo gives the illusion that this is a metal band. Like, this is a full... These, these are... The next Metallica, they've been together for a few years. No, I mean, like, it's kind of like Lenny Riefenstahl or something like that. Like, the way he can present, he's playing to an audience of 20,000 people or even like a thousand people when, like, looking back in retrospective, it couldn't have been more than 10. Yeah. And, like, yeah. he pops these videos up on his uh, Facebook and, like, people, like, you've got all these venues looking at this and they've got, hey, Jared Fretton sold 200 tickets in the city already. Because that's the way bands would go, is they'd put out the tickets first and then they try and book the venue around it, you yeah, know, especially yeah. for smaller acts. So, you know, he was advertising to these places and they were just thinking, you know, what the hell, it's a Wednesday night. You know, as long as he gets at least 70 people, we'll be making a profit. Because, you know, all the venues would plan to have appropriate levels of staff. Yeah. It's like, you know, like... If I, let's say, booked the Sugar Club for Scapegoat Live and uh, I decided that was a great idea, like, you know, I would probably have to tell them, 
look, this is going to be a maximum of 15 people. Like, you know, seven people who like me and eight friends who are dragged along. Bring one but drink one bartender slash doorman and I'll pay for the room rental. That would be the only yeah. way you could do it. <laughs> we should try but, and organize a, a disaster artist scapegoat show in the Sugar Club soon. That'd be good. That would be good crack. Yeah. I'd be game it for could, going it down. could go completely to shit, but uh well, you know, if we get Gordo of... as a, like a special guest, he just comes in for a half an hour at the end. That might. <laughs> I'd say you. I'd say people would be interested, you know. But uh, even saying Gordo, like he's got a podcast with what he was telling me at one point, it was about two hundred and forty thousand people listening. So that's basically a quarter of a million. Yeah. Well, be... I think that's subscribe. I think that's like regular. I think that'd be the. There's probably more listening, but don't download every week. But I think that's the average of like weekly downloads or whatever. Yeah, but like you take that there. But if you're doing a if you're doing like Sugar Club in Dublin, like the thing is, you'll probably get people from Dublin, Kildare, Meath. I'd say mm. you might get people from Louth. Like you know, you might get some people from as far as Wexford, but you're not even gonna get people like. I was looking at it and I like Gordo's done shows in Dublin before and like I'd have been tempted to go down but you know if you're doing a show until that late at night and have you thinking mm. oh god I've got to go down and I've got to be there for like I've got to get go down to bus Oris for half nine to get the last <laughs> dairy bus home yeah, and I've got yeah. to do this then I would just be like you know or oh I need to god. spend like a fifth of a week's wage on a B&B yeah to go or down more, to Dublin or now like you know or like oh fuck like you know i've got an aunt who lives in dublin so it's kind of like oh no okay so i've got to get in contact with her and then figure out how to get from the sugar club to like i don't know like raf farnham or something like you don't know that well and get through dublin to get this and you're like oh fuck like you know it was just one of those things that like you'd have less people than you'd think i mean it's like you know it's even like if even if i specifically saw oh here in memphis tennessee i've got a thousand listeners surely maybe 20 of them would want to go see the show live well the funny thing is judging by our stats i'm pretty sure like a, a, a venue the size of the sugar club if we if we had that if, if we'd done the sugar club here like we we played the sugar club with those conspiracy guys if we'd done that just as disaster artists i'd say maybe we'd get 20 people yeah a venue of the same size if if we done it in wisconsin in america or sydney we'd fill the house but that'd be it anywhere else not a chance but for some reason sydney and wisconsin of all places we're fucking huge it's melbourne we're quite yeah we were quite popular in melbourne it seems but you know, it's kind of like I've also got like a lot of Czech listeners. It will be like the sixth biggest country, so it's kind of like I'd have quite a few Czech listeners. Like not ridiculous, but you know, for somewhere like in Prague that you'd know quite, uh, I'd know because I lived there for four mm. years. Quite a few bars, like there's small bars. I would know the people who own it, and I would just be like, hey, "Can I just book the back room <laughs> to a show?" And you'd get like seven people, and you'd just be like, "Yeah, it's a live podcast way." <laughs> 
see a lot of podcasts when you do a live show it's a lot of it is the guest if you have a guest who's popular like if you have a comedian who's been touring in that and has done a few shows in that city recently it'll bring in a lot of people because you know i'm pretty sure i could book out the sugar club myself if it was just luke from scapegoat special guest blind boy (laughs) (laughs) if i somehow managed to do that as a coup i'm fairly sure that people would be like Okay, we don't give a damn about this you guy. Just but... have some child who was blinded at birth. <laughs> 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 in really small writing, you just have on the poster before blind by it's just the letter A. <laughs> Luke scapegoat plus a blind by. <laughs> be awful see this is how you this is how you make it luke this is if if we have learned anything from charge trend it's that this is how you do it you just got to be clever oh Luke's man scapegoat I, 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 a blind boy so jared fretton was planning to book all these london venues well it was london newcastle bristol like it was a lot of the big cities in the uk then he was doing Belfast, and then he was doing one in France, one in Italy, one in Germany, which is like a pretty like consistent European tour. Yeah. Because for whatever reason, when bands trend, they'll be in like Germany with has a bigger population like once, yeah. but they'll be like, and we're doing a sellout show in like Sunderland for three <laughs> nights, and you're like, what? But that's what I find found curious, like because he he he's a metal performer. Why? Why was he focusing on this side of Europe? Because I think if he actually wanted to trick people into showing up, well, you know, he would have aimed for the the the, the Eastern Bloc. Or, well, you know, wait. I think th- I think there's something that appeals about. I think the UK and Ireland are easy because they speak your language, oh. and like you know, you can kind of get away with that. That like you know, if you're booking out Lucerna and Prague or something. Or like a big venue in Poland, there could end up being like a lot of like gangsters and stuff around. So it's kind of like maybe not the place you'd want to mess around. True, but I can see like the way in like I don't know how it is in your neck of the woods, but in Dublin, like even rock bands that nobody's heard of, like if they're playing in if if there's just an advert for a band playing in Whelan's sure a lot of the people going to it will be going because they've heard of the band but there's a good 30% who who just like checking out new rock bands they just they they like going to Whelan's on a friday night so if they see that there's a an actual band playing and not a dj they'll just go and i feel like they, in eastern europe that's the case with with metal music where you could actually just pull in people who have just you know saw an advert that oh there's a, an american metal band called Tretton playing i'll check them out i'll take the risk you see i think this is what jared fretton was kind of relying on was that uh i think he was relying on the fact that like he kind of had a cool enough image and you know the advertising and the posters it was maybe the kind of thing that if i'd seen like they were playing in belfast and the empire which is just by queen's university it's just off the holy lands which is the big student area like I would have said, like you probably he would have been hoping for that venue. Like, okay, um, the Empire that will fit about two hundred people. 
sure there should be at least 50 metalhead students who'll want to turn up to that and that's all you need but he ended up not getting that but before he went to Europe he had a problem to solve because like most antisocial people who do pub quizzes like myself and him <laughs> um, he had no friends so uh, he had to hire a band to do the European tour for him so he got the following people. He got Joe Perunga, a guitarist from Las Vegas, who strangely got a message from Lisa Golding of Aligned Artist Management, who offered him the opportunity to go on a European tour. Same for Dane Davis, a drummer from Las Vegas, and LA bassist Gavin Carney. And the amount that, how much do you think they were offered to go on a tour with Fret? Now, this is 10 venues over about 14 to 15 days. Now, their airfare and accommodation and food was paid for, but how much money do you think you would expect for playing, for doing like 10 days work in a rock band going through Europe? So for 14 days? Yeah. Well, like, and, and they're going under the assumption that this is a big breakthrough rock band. Yes. It's got to be, it's got to be a, like 10 grand, has to be 10 grand would be the promise. $300 each. That's not even, oh my God. That's what they signed up for, was like that's, they said, we'll okay, cover well, they, your food. Well, I have no sympathy for them, that they, they fucking deserve. That's less than like <clears throat> an extra on a movie set gets like 75 a day just for standing around. That's, that's almost, that. that's a around the same price that's ridiculous i don't know what you know well let's put it this way in the same way that if you let's say that let's say for some reason yourselves and those conspiracy guys decided to go out to wisconsin to do a gig and i was asked for whatever reason to tag along and go out and i was told look we'll pay for your flights we'll pay for your accommodation but we're not really going to pay you to be out there. I would probably do it for free just for the experience of going I, out. I would and do it based on that with more knowledge of what I'm doing. Like, to be honest, I, I, I would, uh, yeah, I'd probably do gigs like that for free. But if you're just, if you're a working, like if you're a session musician and you're doing a 14 day tour with a band from America, like to do that for anything less than, Okay, maybe maybe I don't know an awful lot about this industry. Maybe ten grand was a bit much. I would have expended. I would have expected a hundred dollars a day. I would have yeah. said maybe to if they had got a grand for doing it, that would have been fair. Because like you know, if they've left like L.A. and Las Vegas, which are expensive enough places to live, you'd expect if you're gone for two weeks, you'd bring back enough that you would actually be able to pay for your rent. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think like a lot of people like hearing that, me, me saying 10 grand might sound like an, an awful lot of money, but for session musicians, it's not like they're touring for the entire year. Like, it's not like they once they finish a 14 day tour, they have another 14 day tour lined up. They usually get a lot of money because they could be going months without work. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's technically only around 1200 after taxes. I mean, it's it's just interesting. Like that. But like, you know, they signed up for this and they were, I believe they were like practicing with him for a 
good deal of time before the tour happened. I think they were doing jam sessions with him for uh, a good period of time. They'd have had an entire album to learn, which is another reason why this is insane to do this solo and not have a backing band. Because if you're hiring people as you're going, you have to like teach. Like, how long does it take a band to perfect an entire album together? Well, I remember, like, I saw Metallica just after Robert Gigilio had had joined them. Mm. Same. We were probably at that same concert, too. (laughs) Yeah, that, uh, what I'm kind of thinking is that, uh, you know, he probably knew all the songs that they're going to play on the tour. But everyone was shouting, like, play whiskey, whiskey, because, like, whiskey in the we, jar. We were at that same gig, so, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I felt really bad for them. Uh, but, like, and then you've got James Hatfield was up, and he was saying, like, oh, it's a little bit too early for me. And then, like, everyone's like, well, you're straight edge. You're not going to drink. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, no. Uh, but you could kind of feel, like, you know, there might be a local song that each band is expected to play in a different place. And they were just like, look, you can't be expected to know this song in every single like place that you go. Cause like, you know, they might've been playing Edinburgh the next night and they might've been like, dude, you've got to play the entire ride. The lightning <laughs> solo. It's just like, what? That's Cliff Burton's. What, what are you doing now? <laughs> <laughs> and then they went to Newcastle the next night and they were like, we want you to pretend that you're sleeping in a bunk and you're tossed out of a bus. <laughs> oh god but uh yeah like you don't feel any sympathy for these session musicians not now of... not here in the day that they took that deal because no i feel sick like well what's it did they get paid they got paid 300 well, then, each. No, i don't care if they got paid and that's what they were willing to do it for to begin with they obviously had no real value on their on their talent i, so, I don't I, i'm not going down hard i just think yeah no that's the fact but, that they were they went on tour for that it's like well what what did they expect if i if if, if i went on a 14 day tour for that amount of money i would have no expectations so once i got the money i i'd be fine okay but let's say let's say another podcaster is doing a big european tour let's say Joe Rogan is doing his podcast live and he's asked you and Shane to join him for 14 dates throughout Europe. And he offers your you old man Rogan episode. <laughs> I heard your old man Rogan episode. You promised me a sequel. Why wasn't there a sequel? I'll forgive you, but you have you have to come touring with me. And he did offers we, you nothing. What? Did we promise a sequel in there? I thought you had promised a sequel. Oh, maybe we did. Oh, shit. We better get working on that. Sorry. Go on. But, uh, yeah, no. If uh, this was happening, that, like, if he, Joe Rogan, turned up and was just like, here, I'll pay you in publicity, but you've got to pay for your own flights and your own accommodation going from Dublin to Bucharest. But that's different. Like, if if you appear on a Joe Rogan podcast, you get, like, 50,000 hits within that night. So, of course, I would would make him breakfast. (laughs) He probably wouldn't let me. He'd have very strict rules. But, uh, have yeah. you hunted that with a bow? <laughs> have you taken down a... Vi- have you, ha- you, you mean you, you haven't taken down a deer in the Phoenix Park? 
I want elk. I want fresh elk. You got to strip that. I, I want the flesh to be stripped no sooner than one hour before I wake up. Uh, no, with somebody like that, of course you'd do it. But that was that would be like if these session musicians were, were touring with the actual Axl Rose. But like, you know, when you've kind of like, you've got all these people and this guy... I mean, he didn't have that many likes, but he had 40,000 Facebook likes that they couldn't have been thinking like, oh, this could be big. This could be the start of something big for us. I can see why they were thinking that, but like if you're seeing that, oh, this person has this many likes, but then the figure you're given for your payment doesn't match up anywhere near what how much fame this person apparently has i think you're kind of an idiot if you don't put two like if joe rogan suddenly said oh disaster artist i want you to tour with me and then he says i'll forward you on the the payment details and i get the payment details and it's like 89 euro a night i'd be like maybe joe rogan isn't as popular as i thought he was because why is he paying me so little (laughs) why am i why am I be being treated like this is a welfare payment? <laughs> like, so yeah, I think like that's the, the, those guys sound really fucking dumb to me now. I think I'm gonna tweet Joe Rogan after this and be like, "You need to offer more than eighty nine euro a night." <laughs> How uh, much did you say they were paid? Three hundred dollars. It was fourteen days. 40 days. <laughs> That literally, that literally is what it was a day. <laughs> that is half of what they would make on the dole. Like, that's ridiculous. I mean, I mean, like, I don't know how much the dole is for uh, the Republic, but I thought it was about 120 euros a week. No, no, it's more than that. It's not much more, but it's like, I think it's around, it's around the 200 mark. So basically, they were gone for two weeks, and they would have made more of the dole. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, I know America doesn't have the dole, but like maybe they were just taken in by this guy's charisma. I don't, but like three, like that's that's crazy money, and like even like imagine how much money you're spending when you're like touring for fourteen weeks, like you're eating well, out. I, you're. Well, I think that it was like food and board were covered. So yeah, but I'm sure like... to an extent it's covered where your your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But if you go out for a few pints that night and you get something to eat on the way home, that's all coming out of your pocket. Like you're going to yeah. spend three. Like if you went on holiday for fourteen days, like just the meals you have in the afternoon, how quickly will you spend three hundred dollars? Three hundred dollars, I'd say. Especially if you're going to expensive places like London. I'd say that they could have spent the equivalent of $100 on the first day just getting into London, getting mm. around, doing this. And, yeah, yeah. and Fretton was being driven by their tour manager, his wife, uh, Kelsey, who was driving them all around in the back of a black transport van. Now, I don't know if it was a fact that it was black, but this is just like uh, Fretton's aesthetic was black that like he made for his own, I think it's biography.com. Like, you know, they do biographies of celebrities. He made his own page on it and he wrote down like a random fact about him 
itself that said like Jared Fretton has never been photographed wearing any colors. Wow. <laughs> Very only wears black. That's a cool black dude. is a shade. That's so, amazing. Yeah, no, I mean like there's a lot of stuff that he edited in to like you know different websites to try to make himself popular which is just like the most try hard stuff so as you can imagine he turns up to the first venue which is underworld in london which is in camden town which is like you know very popular hipster spot now you'd expect with a venue like this for it to be kind of like sold out this would be a quite a popular venue from what i understand hmm. and the band's agents had claimed that the band had sold 291 tickets at the time that like, you know, they had got this accepted and then they were like, okay, this is, we'll, we'll give you the small room for 500. And like, you know, they had like seven or eight bar staff on and they're kind of shocked when only three people turned up. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine this, you've been As chatting. You would be. But like you've been chatting 291 tickets now, there's a Facebook page where it says, like, Fretton, live in the underworld. And it's got kind of got, like, you know, 500 people saying maybe or they'll go. Like, you know, you're just right. like, wow. And then the next night, they drove up to Newcastle because I'm guessing Fretton has no idea of British geography. Like, rather than go somewhere sensible, it's like, let's go from the south of England to the very north as our second date. So he goes up to Newcastle and... Uh, what he does is uh, he does he playing at a venue and fortunately the band that he's booked as the opening band is actually quite locally popular so a lot of people come in to watch the opening band so he kind of felt that his uh, his chances of getting like a good crowd is going up but as actually it turns out Killing Joke was playing in uh, Newcastle that night so a lot of people just went to watch the opening band and then went off to watch Killing Joke at another arena after that. <laughs> oh, God. And then basically, he was looking at this crowd of like 200 people watching this local punk band and thinking, okay, I've made it. And then by the time he started his set, it was basically one person had bought a ticket and it was the five members of the punk band looking at oh, him and kind of like out of sympathy and just oh. felt feeling really sorry for him. So I think, like, this is very rough maths, but you said how many people attended? 291? Is that what you said? That was 291 people had had been the ticket number for Underworld the night before in London that they'd promised. So the night after, I think that means that 0.07% was there watching him. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Which, that's, you know, as a James big. Bond fan, he must have loved. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, I like I like that you always look for a silver lining. <laughs> well, at least it sounded like a Bond movie. Yeah. So then the next day he went down to Bristol. So Exchange in Bristol, like, was just kind of like waiting for him to turn up. And there was a, there was a starting band there called Ghost of Machines. And they kind of nobody was there and ghost of machines was kind of like what's going on and they kind of like were thinking oh these poor guys have come from america and they've just been ripped off by their booker who's kind of like scammed them so they were kind of feeling really sorry but like you know 
before they could play in Bristol, like because there were so few people in the audience that uh, the people said, look, we're not going to let you guys play unless you put a deposit down because like right. we can't afford to rent the venue and do this for free. So then Fretton kind of, what he did was he said, okay, well, this will be covered by my record label anyway. Because he's trying to keep pace. <laughs> so he went to an ATM, drew like $500 and gave it to them or 500 pounds. Oh. See, this is this is why this is so fishy. Like, where's all where, this where money? Where is this money coming from if he's working at McDonald's and his wife is a nurse? I mean, like that's the kind of salary you want nurses to be making, rather than yeah, what yeah. they are, especially in the United States. <laughs> Maybe this is like the movie The Room, where it's just a money laundering scheme. I was just thinking that there myself. It's just like it does seem like okay. Well, we'll claim that this was a hundred thousand dollar and we're we don't guess three hundred. Yeah, we done an entire, we done a heavy metal band rock tour across Europe for fourteen days. Imagine how much! Imagine how much we had to play all the all the guest performers. It would have surely been ten grand each, right? You know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, imagine you have ghosts in the and the unresolved. They're big bands. This might be because you've heard about that with the the film for people. Uh, there's a film called The Room that's notorious for being the worst movie ever made and uh, the guy who wrote, directed and edited it Tommy Wiseau, there's uh, long-standing rumours that it was a money laundering scheme, I think by the Armenian Mafia maybe, or something like that You see, the thing about uh, Tommy is that he would always kind of tell different stories about where he had made his money. He's like, oh, I was selling jeans in San Francisco <laughs> yeah. in the 1970s. Yeah. Counterfeit like, jeans. <laughs> but you know, it's like, and I heard another thing that he was talking about, like before yo-yos became a big thing, like he had bought boxes of them and he was selling them before the craze went. So it's kind yeah. of like, you no, know, apparently that one is actually true. Like there's evidence that he, he was selling yo-yos right before the boom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, but apparently. Well, you know, maybe maybe this was a grand money making like you know scheme because Fretton does seem to either like be very very poor with money, or he seems to have some level of backing behind him, and like you know, I can't believe someone being twenty nine years old and just like randomly withdrawing money and spending it on something like this much yeah i don't i don't understand how this worked yeah i don't know i don't get how you can even i i know it's fake and it was a great like scheme i don't get how you could even even buy an up like so like how much does it cost to run a website for a year so he was with godaddy i think i read that oh the websites his... are still up it, if you want to see any of these fake websites, they still exist. Was well, it's around today. To, to run a website for a year, even a basic website, just for hosting, it's it's around two hundred euro, give yeah. or take. So you're talking. He had like he had one for the band, he had one for his agency, he had one for the record label. 
and there was a he had a couple like you're already running about a grand a year there already just having the websites yeah then you have the money he put into music videos instruments hiring musicians organizing a tour transport like there's a lot like that adds up so quickly like there's no way he done this without spending at and i'm pulling a number out of my arse here but i would say there's no way you could do any of this without spending 20 grand yeah no i was thinking 20 to 25 would be this year like that's a lot of money for somebody who's been working in mcdonald's and with a a nurse who's a wife and 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 a wife who also like gave up her or maybe not gave up her job but she at least got enough time off to to tour with him for 14 days and shoot she essentially was just shooting video yeah and i mean like you're paying for like hotels now i'm guessing i can that... i we can barely afford hosting and we actually have an audience <laughs> like now, i know what they were doing was like you know it was either like Airbnb or they were renting a room for themselves and they put the other free people in like a free person room. But, you know, yeah. in the same way that like, if you're doing that in London and Birmingham and Bristol, which are all expensive places, yeah. I mean, like, I'd understand if you were in Newcastle and Belfast for five days each, you could probably get a good deal. But London, I mean, like, I think if you're trying to book London for five people for even a single night, yeah, you're yeah, going to no, be above it's... 200 to 250 pounds from what I understand. I'm no expert in this. I'm sure someone from London will be listening and be like, oh, right, you schlag. No, but I'd say oh, if I'm oh, you, could... <laughs> <laughs> you could book it. <laughs> you could put a bed sit in Bromley for a fiver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think lads touring from America would be doing that. Yeah. Hey. So what I would say is there's something important I wanted to note that none of the support bands, when you're speaking about money, none of the support bands actually ended up getting paid for this. So like they had bands opening for them, but what basically Fretton had made the deal that uh, they would get, they'd be able to sell their merchandise and t-shirts there. And that's how they'd get paid. And like it wasn't like they had a band touring with them throughout the tour. It was like just local bands. Yeah, because, yeah. You know, because you know, I could kind of see that. Like if you're a local kind of reasonably big, but not like national wide band, let's say you've got a good local following, you might be like, sure, as you say there, like, sure, I'll head down to Whelan's because there'll be 300 people and I might shift a few of these CDs yeah, you've yeah. got a box full of. Well, well, that's like your example you made. So you're, you're talking about support bands now, not their backing band. Just... Not, their, not their backing band. Right. So, so that's like the example you made earlier with Joe Rogan. Like if, I, if, yeah. if Joe Rogan was playing in Dublin tonight and he was like, oh, we need a podcast to open for us. Disaster artists, do you want to come? You're not getting paid, but you can sell some of your T-shirts. In an instant, you'd be there. Even if you didn't have T-shirts, you'd just be like, well, like, people will know my name yeah no i mean like i think that that would be a great thing and then like you know even if he mentioned you you could get uh certain searches um yeah yeah. even if if only 10 people coming out of that show remember your name it's probably worth it and that's the idea that threatened had put across that they were this big band so 
yeah, as a support act, you'd be like, yeah, they, 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 you'd be like, the fact that they're even signed to a label and have like an actual video advertising them, that's good enough for me. I, I'll come down and support them. Yeah, but I mean, like, that's the thing I kind of was shocked by because, like, he's gone to like Bristol and he's gone to London, you've gone to this, and you would have thought there would have been enough people there that I would have thought at each venue there should have been at least 30 people. Mm. That, like, I'm shocked that it's no people, because, like, I would have thought, like, you know... That's what's amazing to me, yeah. Because, you know, in the kind of weird way that, like, if there was something kind of interesting happening... Now, I know that, like, Dublin's a lot bigger than where I'm from, so, like, you're probably not going to travel from, I don't know, Swords all the way down to South Dublin just to kind of, like, see oh my god, it's somebody I don't really mm. care about. But, like, there yeah, should be yeah. enough people that, like, at a venue, which is big enough, that you should be able to just go there and be like, yo, uh, <laughs> this person, well, this music act's coming on. I know it's different for podcasts, because podcasts, like, you know, you could see something and be like, oh, I'm not really a podcast person, or I don't want to listen to people I don't know. But it's like, if somebody's playing music, I would have always felt there should have been at least about 30 people turning up just to be like, oh, sure, whoever this guy is, I just fancy, I just yeah, had yeah. a bad day at work and I kind of just want to see a metal show. But yeah, he's only yeah. selling like two tickets and that's what I found so surprising. Yeah, I, I think that's amazing. So like, uh, cause, so I've never been big in, like I, I would I would never consider myself a musician, but I've played guitar since I was like thirteen or fourteen, and I didn't play in black bands throughout school. But when I was in college, like uh, I played in a few just for the crack, and we had like a, I, I done a handful of gigs when I was like twenty in like random rock bars in town, and you would never get a weekend booking because nobody knows who you are. So it'd be like Wednesday night in the voodoo lounge at fucking 12 o'clock you know half an hour before closing time and yeah. you would still get people coming in because oh well there was an ad just saying live music it didn't say who was playing but they just wanted to be in the vicinity of a live band because a lot of people just like that atmosphere if there's a live band playing they're happy and you would get it might only be 40 50 people but you were you would be guaranteed to get forty or fifty people on a random Wednesday night in a somewhat populated city. So I'm shocked that this guy only got three. I I don't actually know how that's possible. I almost so, feel like he he he. There, there's some layer we're missing here where he made it happen that he only got three. Like maybe he was actually like a serial killer. You know, how serial killers want to get caught. Maybe this guy. <laughs> was like the opposite where he didn't want to have attention in the end he thought maybe he'd crumble if he got too much attention so maybe he there was some other ploy here to make sure nobody showed up because you know in the kind of weird way that we both think he's got money you know i would have kind of felt that like he should have been enough to like in birmingham and london like you know to be able to put out facebook advertisements the latest new u.s sensation fret and coming and that would have actually caught like one or two people's eyes because like I kind of feel in a kind of demented way that like if I was going to any of these UK cities where they're talking about him selling one ticket and I've got a small enough podcast but I think I in a lot of these venues 
I could probably sell more than that. But that's why, even off a whim, especially like, so in London, it might be actually more difficult. It's a bigger city, but I think because there's more stuff going on. But Birmingham, I've been to Birmingham. It's it's big enough, but everything's kind of very close together. So if you're a metal fan in Birmingham and it's a Thursday night and you just see an advert for a metal gig, at least for me, especially if I was younger, I'd be like, I don't need to know anything else. Oh, there's a band I've never heard of playing in this club that's only a five-minute taxi ride from me. That's my night sort. I'll just go there. If it sucks, I'll go home. It, it makes no difference. And and I'm I'm shocked that that wouldn't happen. That seems like that would be how you would get an audience in, in a city like that. Because you see, that's what I even what I'm thinking is like, do you remember I brought out a CD randomly? It was melodramatic to kind of see about like, you know, a random CD I bought. Yeah. And even thinking back, that was some band from somewhere east in Northern Ireland, the other side of the country, who were just playing a random gig. And, mm. you know, I just turned up to it. And because like you saw music and it was on some night. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, I turned up, I kind of went there and I ended up buying a CD the thing is, I've never even listened to the CD once. <laughs> I kind of bought it on a whim. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, there's a few bands like that I have, and there's a few bands I really like that I discovered the the, the same way. But like, you yeah, know, it, 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 is, it makes no sense to me that he would get, especially in Birmingham, whatever about London, I'm shocked he would only get whatever number of people he did in Birmingham. That just make, makes no sense to me. Yeah, I think like, if I if I formed a band tomorrow, and we well now with the quarantine that isn't going to happen. But if I formed a band tomorrow, and we set up a gig so in some random club in in Birmingham at the weekend, I'm pretty confident we could draw at least forty people. Because like this is the way the backup band describes that the scene that they said like you know there were thirteen people in the room when we played. The sound engineer, the bartender, 10 people we brought, and <laughs> one who actually got a ticket. So like, they you sold know, one ticket. This is yeah. And that's so, madness. like, you know, because, you know, the sad thing is, like, anytime there is attendance, it's the backup band is bringing in free people, mm. or people want to see the backup band rather than to actually want to see Fretton. And Fretton's a real kind of asshole to the backup bands because. He doesn't actually watch. He's doing that sort of poser thing. I'm too cool. But he actually oh. doesn't watch any of the other performers oh, perform. You see, now I, I was ready to like. I wanted so hard not to sound like a cunt to him, but if if that's what he's doing, then fuck him. Yeah. What an absolute cunt! <laughs> like that shit of, especially if you have nothing going for you to ignore the the warm up band. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah. I remember the, a friend of mine, like back when I was very young, he was an older guy. He was in a, a band called fuck, and they were playing a gig in Atlone. And they, it was in like the Dean Crow Theatre. So it was kind of, it was like a mini festival. So they had like three bands playing. They, they were getting very popular. So they had like three bands playing before them. And the band that came on right before them, the audience started just chanting for and it was just didn't come out because the audience were being such dickheads to 
to the openers that they decided now nah, we're we're just not going to play for you your your dicks which i thought like kind of an axel rose thing to do but i kind of also appreciated it standing up for the well you know i think it always depends that like if people come to see someone and it keeps being stretched and there's unrealistic expectations i think it's fine if let's say that you're doing a show and you're saying okay a is on first then b then c then the headliners are gonna be on at nine o'clock because like you know whenever i've gone to a gig They'll always say on the ticket, like, gates open four o'clock. Metallica mm. will be playing three hours later. So you turn up because you want to see all the opening acts. But there is kind of space for people who just want to turn up 20 minutes before they perform. Ignore the opening acts and just go for them. Yeah, yeah, so which I, is fine. Yeah, but it's kind of like, you know, I remember the first concert I ever went to It was like, there was a charity gig in my town and the chorus were playing. Now I wasn't really a huge chorus fan, but there's like free chorus gig, like at a massive kind of like stadium. So you're just like, okay, I'm going to go. And it ended up being so awful because they kind of simply said, Oh, they'll be playing soon. They'll be playing soon. But that was like three and a half hours later. And you had to watch all these guys bringing out like boron drums. and doing all stuff. <laughs> You know, yeah, it was that, kind that's of, a bit different to yeah. You know, it was it was one of those things that like you got there for six o'clock and the cores weren't gonna show up until like ten o'clock. And Eamon Holmes was there as like the MC and he was <laughs> This sounds like a fever dream. What the hell? <laughs> okay, to give context, it was just like because uh, I'm from Oma and the Oma bomb had happened, that it was just like a kind of like local support thing. Oh it was okay. just like That'd to kind of like yeah so like i know so it's so bad but the thing was that like you know there were so many people wanted to take part but that kind of killed it like people wanted to go out and maybe hear like you know eamon holmes say a couple of bad jokes and now eamon holmes is a tv host for those in australia and uh, us listening but like it was just him doing this and then him getting annoyed because some kids at the back had laser pens and were pointing them at him <laughs> <laughs> And then it would be like, you know, and here and here is the Fintna True Blue kind of like, you know, marching band. And like, you know, you wouldn't leave the house if they were walking down the street. And you certainly wouldn't have went to like a big showground to listen to them. Yeah, and like yeah, you yeah. could put up with one of them. But after about six of these fake outs, people were just like so pissed being like, oh, the chorus will be here in 10 minutes. I mean, like, you fuckers, you said that at six o'clock. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, with, with the story I was talking about, that wasn't even the case. Like this band, if actually, you know, in the edit, if if it's not too much hassle, if you can beep out the band's name, that'd be good. Okay. <laughs> but like, it was just like they were just playing at like nine o'clock, and everybody knew that. But they were they were booing the bands that played beforehand because they thought it was like they were being more supportive of the main band like they thought it was a cool thing to do to like chant this band's name while the support acts are playing to let the main band know we're here to see you and then the main band were like no you're just being dicks like we this is we we planned an entire we 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 got these bands to play before us because we thought this would be a good night and you're just being 
absolute cunts. No, but I mean, I can completely get that because, like, uh, you know, it doesn't show support to be like trying to pull someone else down. Mm. It's like it's a very kind of weird mentality to be like, you know, to make my podcast look better. I yeah. have to go and like go on Twitter and attack Sam Tripoli. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm i'm being a dick well, you know like luke sometimes it. sometimes people just need to be called out let's not let's not get into that but uh just to go back to that there's one uh i felt for a long time i felt really bad about this so i went to see a per- when i was about 18 i went to see a band i loved and their support act I, I just didn't really like them. And there was tennis balls being passed around the audience and we were all throwing it at the, the opening act. And I thought, well, this is fun. And I remember I clocked the, the front man of this opening act right between the eye. And he got really fed up and he left the stage. And I was delighted with myself. But then afterwards, I thought, well, that was a dick thing to do because this was just a supporting act for a bigger band. They were... They were breaking through them to the mainstream, and this was their night. And I, I maybe I contributed to ruining it for him, and I felt really bad for that for a few years. And then the front man of the Lost Prophets was arrested for trying to have sex with a baby, <laughs> and I was yeah, like, that "Oh well, a like Slipknot gig by any chance?" I was, I was like, "Okay, well, I guess I'm good." All that kilt has flowed away. I saw that gig. <laughs> <laughs> they got annihilated at that. Everybody hated them. I had no idea who they were, but such when when that as awful as that story was, such a weight was lifted off me. All that guilt of how I how I con I kind of contributed to ruining that show for them. I'm so I'm so glad it happened. But anyway, because <laughs> like the thing was that like I didn't really know because like, I wasn't in the mosh pit for that. I'm guessing you were. Yeah, well, I was kind of at the back. I was never in the full mosh, but I was just just behind them. Yeah, no, we were in the row. We were like rows back, but like, no, it's funny that like uh, Ian Watkins was the guy's name, That's and uh, yeah. Like, Got right between the eyes. Yeah. Beautiful. But like, we'll end up years later that, uh, and this is what actually happened to Ian Watkins. There's a mini scapegoat. So that there was a band called Steps and there was a character there called H from Steps. Oh, and H yeah. stood for hyperactive. And his name was Ian Watkins and he was also Welsh. Mm. A lot of the BBC News articles, they looked up Ian Watkins and he was the more popular one. So there's a lot of like newspapers run pictures of H from Steps, and like to this day, like people have accused him like of being like. Oh, I like even it's probably a few years ago now, but I remember searching just his mentions on Twitter, and he's still getting shit. Yeah, no, that's I kind of feel very sorry for him because. Again, really he would have just been a very child-friendly entertainer who I well, don't the, think has done any badness. Well, I think to to even 
as bad as that already is, I think when the other Ian Watkins, like the day, or maybe not the day, but around the same time, that crazy, vulgar, just completely repulsive shit came out about him, the other Ian Watkins had just, I think he had just been on Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah. And he came out as being gay. Yeah. So next thing he looks at his Twitter feed and he's seeing all these replies saying, you're a monster, you're you're going against God. You know, he, he just came out about, uh, about being gay and all of a sudden he's getting these responses, but from people that think he's the other Ian Watkins who has done far more horrendous things than anybody could ever dream of. But he thinks, is this because I just came out? <laughs> As a as a gay man, well, I mean, like anyone who didn't think H from Steps was gay clearly didn't advise. Who's <laughs> a very camp man, but like, yeah, you know what I mean. To see that, if you just came out and you see, uh, if you don't know that they're that they're referring to the other Ian Watkins, yeah, no, I mean, like, I kind of feel that, like. And I kind of—is there any other Johnny Day? Uh, sorry, I was going to say your L cup that, but like, is there anybody else with your last name? I, th- I think Gordo has already put my yeah. full name out there. Anyway, uh, there is there's a golfer. Well, there's John Daly. Yeah. So if you Google, there's a, there's a comedian John Daly as well. I think. Yeah, and there's a if you even if you Google Johnny Daly Irish, uh, you get a. Uh, Classic Dublin storyteller Johnny Daly. There's some old classic Dublin storyteller. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty hard to find. It you would see, seem. You see, my name's like Luke McFarlane, but like it would be like a common misspelling of it would be Luke McFarlane, who is a popular Canadian actor. But like the thing is that he came out as like uh, gay. So it's kind of like if you ever look at my name in Google, it always suggests. Luke McFarlane, current boyfriend. What I think is really funny, because people, ha- people have like sent us screen grabs of this. If you Google, a lot of people Google like Johnny and Shane disaster artists. But once you Google that together, all you get is like pictures of Tommy Wiseau and who Greg Sestero. From Sistero, yeah, 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 and there's been a lot of people who just like assume that that's me and Shane in like an old student film or something. Like, but like we're in our four, we're in our forties when we're students. <laughs> but here's the question: that like, would you take offense? Like, you know, if people were saying like, "Oh, Johnny's clearly the Tommy Wiseau character," that's, would you rather be Greg Sestero? Always what they assume. And to, be fair, one. to be fair, if you see photos of me and Shane where when we were in college, we actually look quite like Craig and Tommy. As in, Shane looks like Greg. I look like Tommy. I look like I've got like dyed long dyed black hair, and I look like a goth. I'll I'll say I'll show you some pictures. My oh, goodness, oh, that's ridiculous. But. Uh... The band, who's the band that was touring with the Three Hundred Dollar Boys, basically. Um, yeah, that's uh, the Three Hundred Dollar Boys. 
they didn't really know anything was going wrong. They're kind of suspicious, but they kind of just thought like, here we're getting paid. So then after Bristol, they we're took the three hundred dollars for fourteen days. Yeah, they took the ferry from like I think it was Bangor to Dublin, or it was either Holyhead to Belfast because they're going to Belfast. So they took the bus across the Irish Sea, and during this time on the ferry, they had no cell phone reception. But like the drummer is coming in, and then he's got all these like texts on Facebook saying like, "We're sorry that your tour is fake." Because the way it actually works is all the venues that they'd been messing around started tweeting about, like, you know, this kind of fake guy. And the music press started to catch up with them. Mm. So they're going to play in the Empire in Belfast. And then the band suddenly realized, oh, God, we're hanging around with a complete sociopath who's like, you know, who's doing like an awful tour. So This is like the talented Mr. Ripley shit now. Yeah, and they didn't really know what to do. So the guitarist and the drummer had money to keep on going and go home. So it's kind of like, I think it was the drummer's mum who was flying out from Las Vegas <laughs> to see him perform live. So she arrives in like Belfast. And then she's just like, oh wait, we're not actually performing. We need to get out. So basically, both guys hid their musical equipment and then went and told... uh Mr. Fratton, that uh, they would be leaving his service. And I'm guessing that he they hid their musical equipment because he'd probably have broken it. Mm. But strangely enough, the bassist, being a typical bassist, said that he would stick by them and would continue. <laughs> which is a total bassist move. That's a very bassist move. Yeah. But basically then, the Empire in Belfast was just like, okay, well, You've got a singer and a bassist. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. So what pretty much that they released a statement saying for like, you know, for the people looking for a refund from the Fretton concert, you can both turn up on like Wednesday evening and I'll give you your money back, suggesting that he had only sold two tickets there as well. Wow. But, like, I would have imagined that where the Empire was and the fact that he was doing this in November, you'd have got a great deal of students going. Mm. But this is this is what I don't get. I don't get how he sold so few. I know this was a, a big con. It was all bullshit. I don't get how it still worked out this way. Because, you know, I would have kind of felt that it was very odd about it because like you know it kind of goes back to like that Andy Kaufman kind of performance art thing that like you yeah. know maybe designed to fail maybe it was like you know instead of anti-humor it was anti-art because like there was a couple of guys up in Scotland who in like it was the mid 90s decided as an art project they would just burn one million pounds in cash and oh yeah I heard and I was just like, maybe this was anti-music or something, that it was just like, I'm turning up and I'm making a statement by not performing to anyone. Because like, I would say, like, he'd almost actively have to be trying to do any worse than he did. That's what I think. Like, do you think that was a part of it? Like, do you think he met it? He worked it this way to ensure that nobody would be around? 
But you know, I, I don't know think, how he could have done that. Because, like, equally, the thing that surprises me is like, if you look at the names of the companies he came up with, I think you'd be actually reasonably good at marketing. Oh, and for sure, I, yeah, yeah. They clearly had money to be buying all these followers. I think I'd like hire him to promote the podcast. Like, I think we'd be fucking huge if we had this jarred fucking Tretton guy on board. No, but like, in just the kind of weirdest way, it's just like, I can't believe he did as poorly as he did. Because like, maybe people are exaggerating this for the sake of making a better story. But Mm. I would have imagined a lot of these venues, you'd have had just 20 people just with nothing really to do being like... See, fuck it, I'll go into this bar and watch music. I, I imagine he, he there, there's a good chance he planned this all out with the hope that this will be what breaks me. I will like fake it until I make it. And then when the bookings start pouring in, that's where it will all pay off. And then once bookings start pouring in, he probably just like, maybe it all got to him and he just started like replying, oh, we're booked out. Because, like, that was a thing with, with his tour, that they were sold out. So maybe yes. it was him just being like, no, sorry, we're sold out, you can't come. Maybe the pressure just got to him where where he realized, I can't, I, I have no experience, I can't fucking play in front of people. I'm going to embarrass myself. So he just, like, replied to everybody trying to, tried, trying to book a, a ticket to it. And he was just like, no, sorry, we're all sold out. Like I, I, I think maybe that's what happened. Maybe he, the he, he just caved in. Pressure just got to him, and he just fucking abandoned it all. That's the only logical thing I can think of. Because there's no reason. Why the fuck would he have three people at his show? That's crazy. Because you know, it's like the prices that they were saying for this was fifteen pounds. Now fifteen pounds for Jared Fretton is pretty steep. But not knowing that, £15 for a show or like €20, like the amount of people who would do that just randomly. Yeah, you're already out, you've had a few drinks and you're like, oh, there's this metal band from America playing. Who are they? Tretton, never heard of them. Uh, Yeah, but they have a, there's a YouTube video for them. That's good enough for me. He plays all the instruments. (laughs) He (laughs) plays... There's a quote of him saying, I always knew I was destined to be a solo musician. Well, I don't know what that means. That that probably should ring alarm bells, but I'm curious to see what that'll amount to. But yeah, I, I, think that can, I think him falling out with his brother during that band at the start really kind of broke him or something. Because, like, he just seemed but, like he just, after that point, he just wasn't a people person. Honestly, man, the more I hear about this, I think even, like, we're already talking about a hoax, but I think there's a hoax in a hoax here. I don't understand how he could get such a shit return on this. Like, how how is it possible that, like, three people would show up to a gig that has been this heavily promoted? Well... The gigs weren't really being promoted. He said that he'd look after all the promotion. That it wasn't being really promoted in-house that much. Right, but it looks like... Well, yeah, I guess we're looking at it retrospectively. But at, so at the time, like, what, what was the advertising at the time? Like, how, how likely were you and I to know about 
So we're living in, see, see, both of us are living in Belfast. How likely were we to know he was doing a gig there? Well, you know, I know the Empire reasonably well. And there probably would be a sign up outside saying, like, gigs this month. Like, mm. October 25th, like, comedy, this, this, this here. Then you might see Fretton. And it just mightn't have appealed. But, like, yeah. you know, it's in the same way that, like, you'd have thought you'd have got at least five or six curious people. For £15, like, you know, it's not £10, but you think you'd have gotten some curious people. But, like... Yeah. There's a kind of weird end to the story. So yes. basically he had to go all the way back to, from Belfast to the US because his band deserted him. And then he was doing all these <laughs> interviews for Rolling Stone and he was pretending to be a rock star and saying, this is all like, you know, this is all mind games. Like you're part, you're part of the illusion. Oh yeah. No, like the thing is that like the f- person who was interviewing him for Kerrang!, they were looking at this and they asked him for some proof because he made some wild statement about like, you know, oh, this is something I'd always planned. Like, you know, I yeah, planned yeah. for it to fail. And they said, could you show us any evidence of that? So they emailed him the next day and then he they said, the question you should really be asking is, was that really Jared Fretton or an imposter I hired oh, to come and beat you? <laughs> Sorry, I know I said at the start of this episode I want to try and be nice, but uh, Jared Trenton, if you're listening, you're a fucking douchebag. <laughs> you're the biggest fucking douchebag I've ever heard in my life. So is Sorry. he more, so like thinking about him, is he more of a Dave Mustaine or is he more of an Axl Rose? Oh, I like. I think it's unfair to compare either of them to him. Like Dave Mustaine, well, that and Dave Mustaine, I think, like he he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder from getting kicked out of Metallica, but he made it work for himself. Axel Rose, incredibly talented songwriter and musician, uh, he's closer to Axel Rose, I think, ego wise. He's just closer to Axel Rose. Like essentially what we what we were talking about here is just a guy with a fucking incredibly inflated ego who has no reason to have it. This is a guy yeah. who just thinks he's the greatest thing in the world. He he's so confident in himself that he thinks I don't need a band. The the thing that most musicians enjoy the most, which is playing with other music, musicians. I don't need that. I just need to be by myself doing everything. Yeah, no, so, I think it's just an egotistical prick. Did you hear what he did last November, November 2019, as his return performance? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So basically, he was in shame here. But then what he did was one year to the day after, like, you know, he was pretty much driven out of the UK. He turns up and he books the underground again in London. And he books it to the day that this was going to be booked. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to do a return concert here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do you want to hear how the venue advertised this? Wow. 
remember last year when everyone was talking about the band who essentially faked an entire tour? Now they're back. Fretton became a monster meme of everyone from enemy to pitchfork covering their bizarre stunt. Jared Fretton has finally broken silence for the first time and is set to return to Underworld, the first venue of his notorious date, which is now legendary fake tour, exactly one year to the day. Come and be part of the meme. Oh my god. <laughs> what a fucking asshole. No, but this is what the venue wrote about him. It wasn't like... Oh, was it, is it easy to write this copyright? That's, that's probably... That's probably I'm pretty the sure played a part in that, though. So he turns up to... Uh, so he turns up to this venue that he didn't sell the last year. And he asked all the opening bands from the year before to turn up. And they did. Okay. How many audience members do you think came to be part of the meme? So, okay, well, what year was this? This was about six months ago. Six, oh, okay, so the Rolling Stones. One Rolling year Star. after. Well, hold on. I want to check when the Rolling Stones... The Rolling Stones article was from 2018, so I probably quite a bit. There was less than 40 people there. Oh, fuck. That's that's bleak. Most of them left within forty five minutes of him starting oh his set. Oh, but that's actually that's really sad. <laughs> because he turned up and uh, he turned up and he didn't have a backing band and he just oh was playing music in the background like a rap show and he had these these mannequins on stage wearing like you know just t shirts saying fake band on it and instead of singing some of his choruses. He passed the microphone to like a fake puppet, you know, of his oh. band members, and they just played the chorus. That's genuinely depressing. <laughs> you hear this? Oh. This is probably going to be cut out, Johnny. But you want to know what he did when most of the people were leaving to try and get attention? Don't cut this out. Whatever it is, you should keep it in. What? What did he do? <laughs> right. So basically. He was ragged on by like the Guardian and the BBC and all these major news sources in the UK. Yeah. So what he got was a blow up doll, like and this isn't like a good looking blow up doll. This is like the cheapest one you can find. <laughs> and he's wearing a shirt saying BBC News, and it's a and it's a female doll, but he pretended that he was performing fellatio on it to try and win the audience back. Oh my god. But this is this is actually this has gotten really sad. I know. So in like, because I thought he would have been able to turn this around, but we're in two thousand. So since two thousand eighteen, this is the best he could have come. Sorry, this is. I've been thrown off because I thought this was that would. would I I thought there'd be some sort of silver lining here. This is fucking. This is bleak. This is such a fucking sad story. I know we started out. This is what I'm concerned. Anybody who started listening to this podcast at the beginning, it sounded like we were just making fun of a guy before we explained what happened to him, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, so there's some context to it, but now it's gone full circle, and this is just the most depressing story I've ever heard 
I don't know. I actually think it's a wee bit funny still. Oh, no, it's yeah. fucking hilarious. <laughs> I just don't, like... No, you see, that's the thing, is when I was pitching this to Johnny originally, we are going to do this, like, last year before this, and it just made it so much more infinitely weird. <laughs> because, like, you know, I kind of thought, like, you know, he would get some level of... Uh, I it would work out in, for him, in a way. But, you know, he advertised for a band before he was performing in London, and do you not want to know what his criteria asking for people to join him oh for this were. Of course I do. <laughs> of course I do. So it's who wants to go to London. Fretton is seeking another guitarist for his upcoming tour of the United Kingdom in this November. Criteria for auditioning musicians below. Preferred but not required. You cannot live with your mother. Have more than one lazy Wait, let, 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 Say that slowly. Let's see if I can check off. Let's see if I can join Trent. Okay, so this is this is preferred but not required. Right. You cannot live with your mother. Done. Okay. Have more than one lazy eye. Uh I I I think. Yeah, done. I don't, done. I, don't, I don't think you can have two lazy eyes. I'm not I don't even know if I what what is a lazy eye? What, what it's technically? It's like an eye that drifts off to the side, but it's like one eye has to be centered. The the, the loop or something. Why what is a lazy eye? I've all, I've often heard. I'm pretty sorry. I'm we're getting distracted. I don't have a lazy eye. Let's move on. Okay, it just means one of your eyes just doesn't always center. So yeah. uh, be like I had one, but I had surgery to get rid of it. Believe it or not, but uh, oh, okay. be. Be someone who reads self-help books and thinks it's helping. It, wait, is that a criteria again? Yeah, you cannot. Oh, yeah. Well, then, yeah, I, I checked that box. Oh, I think okay. I'm, I'm in a shot so far. Okay. You cannot be someone who says spoiler alert while talking about something I don't care about. Yeah, no, I think I, I actually make that category. I... Suddenly, I'm suddenly worried that I'll, I'll make the list. You cannot be a vegan. I can... Wait, so I'm not allowed to be a vegan? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. I've been vegetarian since uh, January, but I'm not a vegan, so I think we're good. You cannot be someone who thinks high-fiving is ever okay. I... I so... I don't like high-fiving. Is that what this is? Yeah, he he says high-fiving can never be okay. You cannot. I think I'm indifferent to high-fiving, so maybe this will rule me out. You cannot have a forehead larger than the rest of your face. Uh, I'm pretty sure I have a receding hairline, but it's not that bad yet. So uh, I think we're good. You cannot be someone who doesn't have a webcam on their computer covered with tape. Well, I can't have a covered tape. It's a double negative. So you cannot be someone who doesn't, so you have to have it. But for some reason, you oh, put it down as a double I've negative. Tape. Yeah, yeah, so I'm good. You cannot be from Montana. I don't even know where Montana is. Okay. You cannot be someone who types you to replace the free letter word. Certainly not. I feel like me and Jared might be like soul brothers here. 
I'm sorry for ragging on your bro. But, um, this is getting very worrying. You cannot have ever said lol out loud. I would kill myself before I'd say that out loud. You cannot be someone that describes themselves as a people person. Okay. I think that's very telling. Yeah, I mean, that goes without saying. Next question. Okay. <laughs> you cannot be whiter than me. I'm pretty fucking pale, so I think that I win that. No matter who asks that, I'm paler than them. Okay, you must have proficient guitar skills. Yeah, good rhythm guitar skills. That Does that count as proficient? Sure. You cannot be comfortable... You must be comfortable being on camera in front of a film crew. That's probably a no, to be honest. This is where I lose it. Yeah. You must have a valid passport. I, I, I have that. Okay. You must be available for rehearsals in Los Angeles. <laughs> well, if I'm, if I'm being paid 10 grand for 14 dates, then maybe... Okay, so you must be able to understand that some of these requirements may or may not be a joke. Like the part where you mentioned paying people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can DM or email audition at threaten.com for more info. I don't get that. How do you DM or email? What? <laughs> well, I like this question. I like his questionnaire because so we we're joking about that. But if if you take like I I feel like my answers would have been probably most people's answers, and it's not until the end where if you have no issue with this, should you not <laughs> reply? It's like essentially what that's saying. If you don't want to be paid shit money, don't bother replying. Yeah. This is fucking bullshit. I can't. I can't believe anybody. Like I know. Like so, he he performed a fucking a grey hoax to us, who are seen after the fact. I can't believe anybody got involved with this to begin with. Any working musicians who got involved with this should have fucking known better. Well, you know, I just think. I think in a kind of weird way that, you know, I think for certain Americans, I think the idea of going to Europe is very appealing, especially if you've never really left the country. I mean, it's kind of like if somebody said like, you know, Europe is very bland to us because we're European, but it's like if somebody said to you, okay, we're doing it, we're going to take you, you're going to go to Beijing then Seoul and South Korea, then like yeah. Japan, you're going to go to Tokyo, then Hiroshima, then go to yeah. Singapore, then go back. You might just be like, I just want to go just because I kind of want to go to those places. No, that's true. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, if somebody said to me like, oh, Johnny, do you want to do a, a we're going to do a documentary on the Route 66. And I just like, well, I don't even need to know who's behind this. Sure, sign me up. Yeah, no, I'm just looking at the replies on Twitter to see if anyone has seriously replied. Right. There was one guy called Lakari Mitchell Free, 
who says I play guitar and meet all the criteria. <laughs> and uh, yeah, their Twitter profile picture is quite something. So, just just speaking about great fakes, because I I like this topic we're we're on about. Yeah. Have you heard about Panicland? No, I have, which I think you've you have shared it to me with my, on my Discord. Okay, so, but but you have you have you looked into it? Yes, I have. So I haven't listened to Green Day since I was a teenager. <laughs> There's this band Panicland. I think they're based out of Toronto. And they done an amazing thing. So about a year ago, there was a leak on the internet. Apparently Green Day, but there was a leak on the internet because Green Day were were recording their new album and there was a leak of the set list from this album. Most people thought, well, this is clearly her shit. But (laughs) then there was this band called Panicland and they saw this fake leak and they thought well wouldn't it be funny if we recorded an entire album based on this fake leak of the set list so they worked hard and they went and it's fucking amazing guys can google this they have a if you go to Panicland on YouTube they have a video explaining why they done this and they basically just like wrote songs to match the the leak the the fake leak of this album, which I think is just like one of them. That's like that's like Orson Welles level of fakery where they saw something that oh people believe this. Let's just jump on it and make this a reality. And they recorded some of the. Like th- technically, I th- I think they actually probably recorded some of the best Green Day work in like the last decade by just making a fake album. But yeah, I mean, like you know, I think sometimes you can actually make other people's music better for them <laughs> in a very strange way. Yeah. It's like you know, a band like Green Day or Red Hot Chili Peppers. When people think about them, they're thinking about the band as they were in like. 1999 2002 so they don't really want to hear like you know on holiday but that's that's what's amazing about what panic land done that they recorded like they even did they didn't just like make a fake album based on this fake set list they recorded they recorded an album based on what they thought green day might sound like now so they they had like a whole orchestral score and stuff. You should like if it, when you're editing this episode, if this part stays in, you should just edit in the uh, the song when uh, Rome falls. I think it's called. You should just edit in a clip of that now. Okay. Oh, Sometime, honey, kiss me in the ruins of 
but that's what they thought that this Green Day album would sound like because they even named the album Magnum Opus something like it had some name like Magnum Opus was in it anyway and it was meant to sound like the the final Green Day album but what what was really clever about it uh, they were in the time that they were like performing this hoax green day actually released an album and i i haven't listened to green day in fucking years since i was a teenager but apparently everybody hated the the latest green day album but they had all heard these leaks so they were all like oh well clearly this last green day album was a joke they were they, they they had just finished their contract with the studio so they phoned it in and released a bunch of b-sides of their album because they knew they were going to release this magnum opus album and it all ended up being bullshit it was just a bunch of teenagers in toronto who had recorded a fake album and had tricked people into thing like the fact that like it's a great joke but the fact that it actually kind of hurt green day where people are like oh that last green day album that was an actual joke they weren't serious and they were actually releasing this other album and green day were just like no that we worked really hard on that (laughs) like that's that's it's quite sad but it's fucking amazing for panic land but I mean, like, I get that, but like, bringing things slightly back to podcasting for a second, that like, that's something I was a bit afraid of last year. Do you remember that we were doing like, not another fake newscast, and we we're kind of like, just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we stole their format. But like, you know, I think it was an okay episode, and like, Paul and Jerry talked about it in their podcast, so they were kind of like, you know, fine with it. But imagine mm. if you had somehow done their format better than them. You actually just made the perfect episode. How much that would be absolutely raging? Because like, if I suddenly went on to like Disaster Hours feed and it was like, like you did my format, but you did it better than me, I'd be like raging. That'd be really rough, and it'd be rougher if you were like a rock band who had been around for thirty years. Oh man, like you know, oh this is actually Green Day sounding well, and you're just like some kids did something and it sounded better, but. I think that that can happen to a lot of people. But I think part, get of me, part of me, if I was Green Day, I think I would listen to that and just be like, okay, our last album was shit and everybody hates it and that sucks, but everybody loves this band who is copying us. And that's kind of cool that they're famous because they're copying us. Like we, we created a legacy. I just can't imagine Billy Joe Armstrong responding well to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd probably. Like, I'd say Trey. I'd say Trey Cool probably thought it was <laughs> yeah, yeah. funny. I'd say that what is it, Mike Dunst, the Mike bassist? Dunst. Yeah, I think oh, he, he, just, he probably doesn't even notice. He doesn't notice. He's just off like lifting weights. Billy Joe was probably pissed. Billy Joe. If if they're just mimicking his style, I think he'd be. I I think he'd appreciate it. I just remember I saw Green Day in concert, and he was getting really pissed because he invited a girl up to the stage to play guitar. We were at the same and, gig, I think. Yeah, 
You told people to beat the shit, shit over. Is this what happened? I don't quite remember it like that, but uh, no. I, I remember I was at a Green because Green Day are infamous for like bringing people up to play instruments with them. Yeah. I remember when I, I was like 13 and I saw them live and they brought people up to play instruments with them. And there was one girl who like got up and then she clearly couldn't play guitar. And then like Billy Joe was just like, why don't you just fucking walk back there? And maybe if you're lucky, the audience won't beat the shit out of you. And it was just really awkward. And everybody's like, oh, why would you say that? Let me guess, this is about a 16-year-old girl. Oh, wait, probably around that. I was like, too young at the time to... Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I was at a different gig, but again, he picked a girl to come play guitar, and then she was finding it difficult to find her way backstage, because, you know, as you would, like, it wasn't like she crowd-surfed up to the stage, she had to try and find a way around like the RDS or wherever to mm. try and like get in to uh, record this with them, like to find their way to the stage. And she was about two minutes and he was like, I'm getting really pissed. And I was just like, dude, like I, like, I I saw them a few times years ago where they just had like such a different attitude than what they have now. Because now they're all like really supportive and they like bring like 12 year olds to play with them. But back in the day, they used to play like they used to bring up like teenagers. And if they couldn't play, they'd send them back into the audience and tell the audience to beat them up. (laughs) Like that's, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's very scummy. Yeah. My goodness. But like, you know. Maybe it's better some Toronto teenagers take on the Green Day legacy. No, it's really, this is completely random and off topic. So when I was like 13, I went to see Green Day. It was when they were on the the warning tour. Yeah. And it was me, my uh, friend Stephen Cassidy lived down the road for me and my cousin because we needed like an over 16 to get us in the gig. And we're waiting in line and the guys in front of us were just like these like punk heads and they were talking about like, oh, I can't wait to Spike shows up. When Spike shows up, things will like go off the, go off the chain. So these guys were obsessed with their friend Spike. So then the, we, we go into the show and the concert ha- ha- happens. And at that moment where, where Green Day bring members of the audience up to play with them, Lo and behold, they bring a guy up, and when they Billy Joe puts the mic to to his face and says, "What's your name? Who do you think it is?" Spike, Spike, and uh, Spike rocks out. They play uh, what's that song about masturbation? The Green Day play Longview. Longview. So they play that, and Spike plays it, and then Spike asks to do a, a stage dive. And he does a mad stage dive. And who would have thought? We heard about Spike earlier. And next thing, Spike's playing on stage. About two years later, I go to see Rancid. And I'm waiting in line. And and there's guys ahead of me. And all I hear is like, man, I wish Spike was here for this. Yeah, Spike would have loved it. (laughs) 
go called one on the spike. I have no idea what happened to Spike, but something happened. Something happened somewhere, somewhere between those two years. Spike you went up on like our Ireland on like Reddit and just be like, "Here, I'm looking for Spike." Because <laughs> there's some spiders fucking... jumping off stage. <laughs> it's fucked on me, man. For Spike. <laughs> If I ever write an autobiography, that's what it's going to be called. Searching for Spike. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Oh, goodness. What are the chances? Sorry, we got way off topic there. (laughs) Oh no, no worries. So if you were to, to put one final point on this is do you think we can learn from this about how to successfully brand a podcast okay so so you you're saying if we were to do this to do jared's same trick for a podcast could it work out i i think it definitely could but i think you you would need to lose your ego like you couldn't you couldn't just do this with like one guy If that makes oh, sense, you, you, sorry. You mean to make a podcast with like more than one person, or? Yeah, well, it would need to be like nobody's going to like. Uh, would you listen to a podcast? Like, let's imagine this Jared guy a podcast is... with one person. Well, that's ninety percent my content. <laughs> no, but I don't mean your guy. But I mean just like you're listening to the example Jared has presented. Would you listen to a podcast run by Jared Tretton? Every week. Well, no, but like what what I would be well, thinking no, is no, that like there. <laughs> what I would be thinking is I think for an awful lot of podcasts, it's just about trying to get people to listen to you for the first five minutes. That like, you know, people can get into ruts and to do this. And like, you know, I think that what he mm. kind of showed was to a certain extent that like you can manipulate the system and make yourself appear bigger than you are. So like he did that with the fans and he did this by like all this sort of promotion, which is interesting, you know, but the way I would kind of view it would be like, if you were doing all this sort of stuff, talking about your representation, talking about all these organizations, could you get yourself like more promoted onto a podcast network or onto something that would help get you promoted better. Okay. I think you, yeah, I think you definitely can do it. You would have to be very clever. Like it's, it's quite a new medium. So I think you would need to, you couldn't create a network like whereas he somehow he he managed to create a, a fake record label i don't think you could do that with podcasts because there's very few but like i've seen podcast networks claim to have podcasts which they don't actually have on them like if you know in the kind of way that like if I was to make a podcast network and I was trying to advertise it, I could say like, okay, we've got scapegoat, but then I'd put it alongside like thinking sideways, like generation yeah. Y, 
Okay. And then like people be like, oh, I like all these podcasts and they're with Scapegoat. Oh, this he's in reputable company, but like none of these podcasts are actually affiliated to me at all. Yeah. But like, yeah. you know, if I suddenly turn up with 36,000 Twitter followers <laughs> and you'd actually associate, you know, you just buy them and you suddenly start associating me with like much bigger podcasts, you might be more likely to give me a chance. Yeah, and that's that's definitely a thing. Uh, But uh, do you think that it could be easily faked? Because let's say you start associating yourself with podcasts that you're not really related to, but would have a better reputation. I think that would be one way you could kind of fake yourself up and make yourself seem like you're a more impressive podcast than you are. I think that's definitely doable but you can't like you can't start you can't do that from nothing you already need to know somebody who has a semi-popular podcast oh no but i mean like i get that but what i mean is you look around and you see like what's a middling podcast with like you know fifty thousand listeners okay and so, you so try and tie yourself into that yeah so actually but, but so like me, for example, we could have easily done that because I was already friends with Gordo. So once he started to make it a little, I could have easily, I, 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 I can just like, you know, push myself in as a guest there and get some, some audience nor, nor, like to come back to us. But like everybody doesn't have that. You don't, how do you get in with the semi-big podcast but i think to do the proper jared fretton kind of stuff is you actually don't know them yeah name because like Mm. you know it's in the kind of way that like nobody will believe that the scapegoat podcast is related to joe rogan so if i say (laughs) the joe rogan podcast network me joey diaz and joe rogan (laughs) nobody's gonna believe that i'm like the third member yeah, but yeah. like, but you know, if if I took like an existing property, like something like Thinking Sideways, that like hasn't been on for the last eight months, and I say like, you know, oh, it's got the blessing of all these people and all this sort of stuff, you could actually get away with it probably a lot better. What I just mean is like to try and associate yourself with other people. So if other people see you, they think, oh this is related to them and you're kind of taking some of their credibility with you, but you actually don't know them at all. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. And now, now the wheels are just turning and I'm like, how can I make that work? <laughs> well, I mean, like, I think it can work in the kind of way that like, if you had like a podcast and you had about five episodes because I know a podcast and I'd have been reasonably friendly with them at the very start, but they were like, you know, after about six or seven episodes, oh, thank you for like a hundred thousand listens. Oh, and they got too big for you. No, but it wasn't it was, <laughs> was that, but it was just like, I still to this day would really love to see their stats and see, did they manage to? Oh, I imagine it's, that's clearly complete horseshit. Like... <laughs> 
No, but you know they were like a true prime podcast at the time true crime became a really popular well, thing. Okay, well that's the difference maker. If they're a true crime podcast, they could have a billion downloads because women. Women love true okay. crime. Do you Look, think he should have come back or had a chance? I think he like well, do I think he should have come back? I think certainly because if he's not to come back, I think then this was all wasted. This was a really good gimmick. If this if this was what he intended it to be, which according to his interviews, he claimed this was all a, a hoax, a measure of psychology. We were all part of the illusion. If that is true, then he should come back and make something of it. If he doesn't, then it's just a complete fucking waste. You see, that's the kind of thing I think that it's like, I think that he really missed out on trying to release new songs, new material, new this. It's like he only seemed to do one gig one year after where he turned up to London and made him kind of like ass of himself. Yeah. Like you would have kind of thought that like he would have said, okay, here's a vault of five new music videos, tried to strike when the iron's hot. But he just didn't seem to do that. He okay. just seemed to like leave it for a year and then be like, okay, I'm going to return to the scene of the infamy to make all the yeah. memes. Yeah, that's so, that's what, what's amazing to me. Because he did, like, he created something certainly unique and why he would not take advantage of it. You know, I kind of felt like, you know, in a weird way, he did interviews at the time and he kind of disappeared. You kind of think he'd have tried to do another publicity stunt or done something. Because mm. as far as I'm concerned, or as far as I'm aware, rather, he didn't release any new music. No, I don't so, think so. I think the last release on his YouTube channel has still been two years ago. Yeah, it's an odd one. So if you're going to say, if we're going to talk about scapegoating here, do you think, who do you think was scapegoated in this situation? Do you think... Uh, the bands who are playing with him were scapegoated, as in not the ones that he paid three hundred dollars to, but the ones who were turning up to the venues. Well, so well, a scapegoat is somebody who takes the blame. Yes, but I'm also using scapegoat in the context of: Do you think that they were kind of treated unfairly and kind of like? Uh, do you think that in this way that? they kind of like that he did them really badly or do you think it's just something that would exist well, in the music industry? You know, to be fair, I don't think they were treated badly because I think if they had a fucking brain between all four of them, they would have known this was a shit deal. So I don't think they were a scapegoat. I think they, for whatever reason, they thought this deal was, th was their worth and yeah, fuck them. They got their worth, I guess. They thought this was their worth. So, and what about the what about the bands who are playing opening for them? I the think the, the opening bands, I think, kind of got screwed a little because clearly they did not hear of this band beforehand. So they thought, oh, there's this big band from America playing. This will get us some attention. We might as well go down and support them. Obviously, they were lied to, so they kind of got screwed. But none of them were 
it's not like they were fucking traveling 70 miles to come and support them. Okay, what about the venues themselves who potentially lost money? Or do you think that's just the price of doing business? No, actually, I think they probably did lose a lot because if they thought there was a bigger bat, like they were probably relying on doing good bar sales, which they never done because it was fucking three people in the venue. They, they, they were probably the ones that lost the most, but it's hard for me to feel too bad for for, for the bigger guys, which is kind of a shit way to think. Okay, and finally, the true person that you have to think about being scapegoated. Do you think that uh, potentially that uh, Mr. Fretton was like a comic or musical genius, and this was like an Andy Warhol or Andy Kaufman style publicity stunt that uh, people just didn't appreciate what he was trying to go for? I don't think, I think he thought of that stuff retrospectively. I think he was just, he, I think this was just a guy who was too egotistical to play with people, but wanted to make his mark all the same. So created a fucking, this is a guy who was such a fucking loner who had to create a, a fake universe to make himself a rock star. I think that's what happened here. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with you. I kind of feel, you know, there's different bits. I actually do feel a good bit of sympathy for him, but... I absolutely do, and I think he's actually very talented. Like, he, I think he, like, genuinely, on guitar, he's really good. A really talented guy that any, like, heavy metal band would be really lucky to have a performer like that in but i think he's just got too big of an ego where he 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 could not stand to share the spotlight with anybody else he just needed to have it all for himself and that that was his biggest enemy no i kind of agree with him i think that there's something deeper going on with his brother who he left behind and i think that they truly see video of his brother yeah that he said that he was willing to, he said he didn't want to see his brother, but he was willing to do a reunion for a documentary that he was making now. I saw that, yeah. He wouldn't, he wouldn't rejoin the band, but if they were doing a documentary, he'd, he'd participate. That's, that's one of the things he's advertising on his site, is that uh, there's an upcoming documentary, but oh. you know, there's been surprisingly little in the year and a half since this happened. That she made me believe that that's going right. to happen. Yeah, I mean, I tried. I I feel like I tried really hard to try and like this guy and try speak good of him. I I hope people listening feel that. But in the end, I think uh, he's just a fucking douchebag <laughs> like that's all it comes down to this guy is just a bit of a douchebag i'm sure he means yeah. well he's clearly talented he, he's a very good musician but i'll never be able to get over the fact that he's just a fucking douchebag but you see that would be the final thing that i'd think about this whole situation is i think if he was a bit more charismatic and he actually held himself slightly better Mm -hmm. I think the actions that he did 
if he had actually managed to succeed, it would have been seen as one of the great like heavy metal like stories of all times. Yeah, yeah, the guy who who kind of like Anvil or something like that would just turn yeah, up. Yeah. Well, just... I, think, I think that's the difference between being a douchebag and a dick. Like Axel Rose is a dick. Well, he's not a douchebag. A douchebag is just somebody who doesn't even understand what they're fucking doing. You think if Axel Rose was in this situation, he would have made it work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think, so. he, I think, I think he, he might have. Yeah, I think, I think he would have. have. I think he'd have just been he'd been such a self-assured dickhead, and he'd have been able to back it up. He he'd have just made it work. Where I don't think Jared made it work. Like I think that's where he failed. He had such confidence and like he, he was driven by ego but he didn't do anything to to make it work i kind of always felt like you know axel rose before he made it would have been the kind of guy outside the venue trying to sell tickets in the street <laughs> but you know i think that's the difference is i think he had a certain level of drive that like he would actually try and get this sort of thing mm. done well i think the thing about Fretton is I think he expected everything to kind of fall into his lap. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So Before... I'd say scapegoat, definitely not. I think that he just kind of like wasted a lot of people's time. He yeah. ended up getting sued by his former band members, or they weren't band members, but touring band members for about like eight or nine thousand dollars, which again points to where did this money come from? Probably <laughs> yeah. lot money laundering or something i the whole see, story doesn't I, make sense i think at some point you're probably need to go on you you're need to you'll need to do a, a part two on this because i think there's something going on here you see i don't think it will ever come out but like you know the only other part two i was going to ever do was on the wall street bull if you ever listened to that episode yeah, yeah, yeah. because it came down to like at the time of recording, they're going to say like, oh, they've got one year that the girl statue can be there, and there's going to be a big showdown by like Arturo de Modica, who was the guy who uh, made the bull statue, and the government of New York, and they'd have to move it. But it just seemed to happen. Like It turned up to like February 2018, and instead of like doing anything, they just said, oh, we're just going to leave it there. Nobody challenged it. It's just gonna stay there now it was something that at the time seemed like you know there would be a challenge to it but nobody challenged it it was weird yeah yeah so i mean like this one might just end up being a weird story i mean if i i I think i think there's a fucking genius documentary to be made here that nobody's thinking about i think this would be like that have you ever seen uh f is for fake the Orson yeah. Welles documentary. No, I have not. It was the, uh, I think it's the last Orson Welles film he ever made, but it was a documentary about uh, a guy who forged artworks. But it's just a really good documentary, just following a guy around who forges artworks. And I think he, maybe, maybe, maybe we can make the, the follow up about a metalhead who who just forges metal epics i don't know yeah 
Well, okay, so um, we're going to finish this early. We're not going to hit free 35 like a certain other episode, but thank you, Johnny, for coming I on. For the drag out. Can I drag it out another 10 minutes? Are you determined to? Um, how things go with you, Luke? <laughs> no, I, I can't. Yeah, I can't drag it out. Nah, that's grand, good. but... Uh, so, is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, so, uh, I have this comedy special. Well, I don't, but a friend of mine... Ha- no, I, I've got nothing to plug. Uh, join us on Disaster Artists. If you want to find us, just log into those conspiracy guys on Discord. Ask, you know, I was on an episode. I was on like so. Hold on, I've been on the peak oil episode. I've been on the cannibalism episode. I've been on the flat earth episode. I've been on the who's that guy that that recent serial killer? The uh, that guy like what's his name? What did he do? Uh, he's that he was in the cult in the last two years. Oh, like, Golden State Killer. Golden State Killer, I was on that episode. So if you're on any of those channels, ask, ask, who is that guy who was the guest on that episode? And when they say, oh, it was Johnny, then you mention, oh, well, what about Paul? Paul was on those episodes. Whatever happened to Paul? That'll lead you down. Gordo will love that. Gordo will love that. He'll have great crack answering those questions. And uh, when when there's no answers, you can say, well, what's this other guy's Discord? And then when you get to Discord, you'll come to our Discord. Eventually, we will tell you how to get to Luke's Discord. This is how it works. This is how modern pod- podcasting works. You, we it's we leave networking. Yeah, we leave clues. It's like it's it's like an Agatha Christie novel. We leave clues to other discords, and uh, yeah. I think Luke, only wrestlers all. can find. Yeah, that's that's all I wanted to promote. That's grand. Okay, <laughs> and uh, thanks very much for listening to this, guys. Um, it's uh, great to have recorded something again, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, guys, bye bye.